Okay, let's get started. Yeah. This is Hooplecast, and I'm your host, Matt, and I've got three co-hosts with me. Their names are... Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're a bunch of gumshoes. <laughs> or prisoners. <laughs> or prisoners. <laughs> this is the first installment of what I originally called Phase 2 of Hooplecast, and I never really settled on a name. The HBO Project? Sounds pretentious. <laughs> It, it is. Phase, it is. Phase, <laughs> phase two is the phase two is the name of the the Star Trek that they were going to do before they did Next Generation. That is true. They didn't use it, so we can use it. Could we? Should we say HBO the Next Generation? <laughs> <laughs> Hooplecast the Next Generation. Yes. Oh, that would make more sense. Oh, Except like that we're the same people. Next Generation was a new cast. Mm. So, just a, a recap of what we're doing here: we're covering the pilot episodes of every HBO drama chronologically until we catch up with present day programming we're taking it super chill recording on our own schedule there's no set schedule i mean we recorded our own schedule last time but what i mean is we're recording just kind of like when we feel like it maybe try and do a recording once a month if that we'll see we got to move through some of these lesser known shows first before we can get to the stuff that people are familiar with like the sopranos and six feet under so if you want to know like all the details of this part of the podcast, please go onto the Facebook group. Just go facebook.com, search for Hooplecast, and you'll find the thread there that explains like the ins and outs of what we're doing, how we're only sticking to dramas, how we're only doing the first episode of each series, the rules for guesting, all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, I'll also put an explanation of this on Hooplecast.com if you go to like the About the Podcast section. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be covering... Philip Marlowe, Private Eye, which is the first dramatic series that HBO ever attempted. And then we'll be talking about the second one, Maximum Security, which is the first uh, prison drama that they ever attempted. Because later on, they had a lot of success with Oz, which is not a show I liked very much. So I watched the entire thing. Before we uh, discuss those, though, let's uh, just dip into some HBO news here. I've got something back from September about a new miniseries that's going to happen possibly next year or the year after. The headline here is Vince Gilligan, Michelle McLaren, developing Jonestown limited series. Oh, wow. Breaking Bad executive producer Vince Gilligan and Michelle McLaren are reuniting to develop a limited series about cult leader Jim Jones and the People's Temple for HBO. Raven... Developed by Sony, developed with Sony Pictures Television, will follow the story of the People's Temple from its idealistic origins to its tragic ending in Jonestown in 1978. Gilligan, McLaren, and Academy Award-winning Octavia Spencer will executive produce the series with Gilligan writing and McLaren directing. Cool. Well, that, yeah, that. Vince Gilligan's always a, a good time when he puts on a show. He does. Yeah, you love his uh, X Files work. Well, you just love the X Files. Yeah. <laughs> His X-Files episodes were some of the better ones. Yeah, they were. <laughs> and Michelle McLaren is a fantastic director. She's done a lot of Game of Thrones work. Ooh. And Breaking nice. Bad. I don't know why Octavia Spencer's in there. Well, I don't know why she's in the mix. Good for her, though. You don't know what she's doing? Well, I, she's a great actress. I just don't know why she picked this project to produce. I wonder what what about the material speaks to her. Or... You know what? Uh, I don't know if you heard that. That was my cat running out on the balcony because he saw. A bird. Yes. <laughs> 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 All 
I've always been fascinated by cults and cult leaders and what yeah. makes a person want to surrender their free will to become involved in such a thing. You should read the new Twin Peaks book then. <laughs> well, I, it, I mean, it's a compelling story. That's for sure. The I remember when it happened and it was just so, I mean, it wasn't unbelievable because we didn't, you know, I mean, cults had been, you know, I mean, between the civil liberation army and, you know, one after another, Charles Manson and, and everything like that. We were, you know, we've been kind of prepared for these crazy things, but that one was so off the wall and it was, and it being, you know, in South America, uh, you know, it was just really bizarre all the way around and the congressman getting killed and yeah. Yeah. Why, um, Leo Ryan, right? Why did he go to Jonestown? I don't remember his motivation for going. As I recall, it was because, I mean, there was this large group of America, uh, you know, mostly Americans, uh, that had gone down there and, uh, there were all kinds of, um, accusations from family members and everything else that, you know, bad things were happening down there and that people um, wanted to leave that were not being allowed to leave. And, you know, there was just a lot of all of the people down there had family in the United States. And and um, as with many cults, you know, uh, where they ha take members from the general public, you know, there was there were a lot of rumors flying around and, um, you know, there were there were hundreds of people down there. Yeah, it says here that during his visit. A number of temple members expressed a desire to leave with the congressman, and they accompanied him to the local airstrip, where they were intercepted by temple security guards and who opened fire on the group, killing the congressman, three journalists, and one of the defectors. Mm. And then yeah. 918 people died uh, in the, you know, 918 people, including 276 children. Yeah. yeah. So you figure that, I mean, that's a huge number of people, and, you know, they, they had... Most of them had come from the United States, as I recall. I might be wrong on that, but that was the impression I have. And and most people had not, I mean, at least, you know, I had never heard of the place. And I think a lot of people had never heard of the place. And then all of a sudden, you know, this came out of the blue. And it was like, whoa, what, you know, what in the world? And uh, so, you know, most of those people had family here in the States. So they'd been, you know, hey, there's bad stuff going on. So he'd gone down to investigate why he went down personally. I don't know, but. <clears throat> and I think like at least maybe the airport killings, uh, or some of it's recorded. Like there's like footage of it. Yeah. There, there are definitely pictures. I don't know if there's recordings hmm. or not. I know there might be recordings because there were, it was news and all. And, uh, and plus it was just like, if he had left, would it really have, what would really have happened? You know, I mean, none of it made any sense. Right. And, and honestly, every time I hear somebody say you're drinking the Kool-Aid or something mm -hmm. like that, I keep wondering if people really remember I, where that expression even comes from. Yeah, yeah. That's one of its most enduring legacies of this, that it gave us that expression, drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, and that's going to be a fascinating miniseries. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, and then 
just last week saw that Holly Hunter is going to star in a new HBO Alan Ball series. It's a family drama. It's, uh, no title yet for this one, but it says here, This entitled series focuses on the contemporary multiracial family, a philosophy professor, his lawyer wife, their three adopted children from Somalia, Vietnam, and Colombia, and their sole hmm. biological child. Cool. It's kind of like a, well, former Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie kind of family. <laughs> yeah. It says, with her husband now fighting depression and her children mostly grown, she finds herself somewhat adrift. That's Holly Hunter's character. Audrey Black, the matriarch of the Black Bishop clan. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I've seen blended family dramas before. kind of feel like it's played out. I just don't know what about this is HBO-worthy, like prestige-worthy. Mm. It's like you could do a show like Parenthood on network TV that was really good. Extended family kind of drama. I don't know what about this seems necessary. Like we just had Shameless. There's lots of ABC family dramas like this. Switched at birth. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. You know, the thing is when you when you break down almost any show by, you know, what it's what it is, it's all in the execution. It's like some of the some of the um shows that seem the most ridiculous turn out great because it's the execution. And others that just seem like, "All right, so we've got six hospital dramas on this year. Um what makes any of them different from each other?" And again, it'll end up the execution. Right. But I think HBO has a certain standard. They have lots, they have a lot more money. They have the freedom Mm -hmm. of language and sexual content and they don't have to have commercials. So that's why they can do programs like uh, Game of Thrones and Westworld and stuff. And not all their things need to be high concept, but I wonder what about this said, oh, we, we have we should do this one. Whereas, like, when Mad Men was being shopped around, they're like, we don't want that. Like, mm-hmm. So, well, we'll see. Yeah. Um, let's get into uh, the first program that we're going to be talking about, which is Philip Marlowe, Private Eye. It's an American mystery series that aired on HBO in the United States from April 16th through April 16th, 1983 through June 3rd, 1986. And it aired on ITV in the United Kingdom. And it stars oh, yeah. one of our favorites, Deadwood actor Powers Booth as Raymond Chandler's title character. This is a remake of an older show. Well, Raymond Chandler was, uh, uh, he was the one that kind of did the hard boiled private eye thing that, uh, Humphrey Bogart played in a bunch of movies. Well, and there was an older Philip Marlowe show. Yes. Yeah. But there were also older Philip Marlowe movies dating from the 1940s and thirties. And when was Chandler writing? He was writing back in the thirties. Uh, his pe- active period was 1933 through 1959. Okay. Mm. Yeah. 
He kind of exemplified his characters kind of exemplified the hard boiled detective with the blonde bombshell who came in and was trouble. <laughs> there wasn't yeah, a bombshell in this one that was trouble. No, no, yeah. there wasn't. Uh, she wasn't trouble. But, um, Dixon, uh, this just reminded me of Dixon Hill from Star Trek. I just wanted yeah. to see Captain Picard do this instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what Dixon Hill was based on. He was yeah. based on the Chandler novels. But uh, I, when this started, I was just like, okay, the, the theme song and everything, you know, like took me back to like the sixties spy, you know, the really old James Bond stuff, the television um, age um, secret agent, you know, the Patrick McGowan show, the, you know, all of those shows, it was just like, okay. This- it was very cliche. It was very on yeah. the nose. Like, it's exactly what you expected to see from a, a show of this type. Yeah. One, one of our segments is going to have to be discussing the title sequences and themes, uh, main title, like uh, theme music of all these shows, because HBO has some really well-known title sequences. Uh, obviously, this one, not so hot. <laughs> I like the I like the the end part though where the guy shoots the puddle and it looks like he's being splashed in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that. I uh I may I, have glanced away at that point. Yeah, I commented both both the shows that we watched I commented on how long the title sequence is. Yeah, they they used to have really long title sequences oh, in general. Sure, yeah. Well, they still yeah. do. They're still about 90 seconds. These days, really? on, uh, on HBO? HBO, yep, they are. They're just well, probably think punchier. about Deadwoods. Deadwoods was long, but they're punch- Deadwoods was long, yeah, punchier, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not doing full like plot by plot recaps for this. Uh, that's just too time consuming. It requires too much effort on my part and time on your part. Uh, but we should just briefly talk about what the plot of this pilot is. Um, and I thought we would just well, let's just steal something from our good friends at Intro to X. <laughs> The dreaded 60-second plot summary. Hey, why not? Why not? So if you're not aware, this is how it works. You get 60 seconds to describe as much of the plot as possible, putting in as much detail as possible. If you go over 60 seconds, you lose. But if you're drastically under, you're a chump. So you want to aim for that. So so you can't go just like, uh, oh, he was protecting a mob witness, uh, the end. That's that's chump territory. You want to aim for like the fifty second to a minute mark. If you hit it right on the nose, well then you're then you're a braveheart. So I've got here a little randomizer app, and I'm gonna spin it, and then we're gonna find out who is uh, recapping this program. Here we go. <laughs> Stress and mellow. <laughs> oh, that was suspenseful. Uh, <laughs> uh, congratulations, Matt. Oh, it was very briefly Carol there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it was. It went in that last couple little. Uh, that, yes, yes, up. it just nudged <laughs> itself over. So and I was pulling out a. I was looking to find a timer on my uh, thing so I could <laughs> see what a minute was. All right, Matt. I wasn't prepared for this. You weren't prepared. <laughs> I'm not sure I even understand the... the That's plot. fine. You just do the best you can, and you're going on three, two, one, go. Uh, Dixon Hill seems to be a private eye of some kind, and um, somebody, I think somebody comes to him looking for protection from the mob, 
and or maybe they maybe he go maybe gets a job from the police chief to uh to protect somebody from the mob anyways he holds up this guy in a hotel and then he has to stake out who the mob is sending to kill him and he gets help from this lady annie and they go to the airport and she stakes out these guys and she's all badass and she like rides the elevator with them and stuff and then um yeah she tells him who they who she thinks they are and uh he uh, stuff happens i'm losing my mind i can't remember <laughs> the order of things there's a corrupt cop um i'm not sure what that has to do like how they resolve that and uh the guy he's protecting isn't the real guy the real guy's been hanging out by himself wondering where his protection is and he has to get uh, <laughs> uh he has to get a ship out of the country and and the the mob uh tries to get philip to turn the guy over to them but he like double crosses them and then they get they beat him up and stuff and uh in the end the guy gets away <laughs> one minute 23 seconds Oh, oh, it was a good effort, though. It was good. You weren't prepared. <laughs> You'll be, pre- be prepared next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the plot. Uh, mob informant. I, I, I don't know. It, <laughs> there were times watching this where I was like, that doesn't make any sense unless it's this. And then it turned out to be that. So it's like, oh, so I do understand what's going on. <laughs> I honestly, I actually was going through the whole thing and it was like, Oh, okay, so, you know, this guy is supposed to be at that hotel, uh, the, you know, the, the Mark is supposed to be at that hotel, but this guy is coming in claiming he's that, that guy, but he's at a different hotel. Obviously, this guy is a phony. Um, I assume that he's gonna figure out he's a phony, but, well, maybe he doesn't. Uh, he's putting him up at the same, oh, it's the same hotel. Okay. Who's, who's that behind the door? Oh, of course, it's the other guy. So he's going to do a switch with this guy into that guy. Okay, the yeah, that makes sense. Switcheroo. Huh? The old switcher- yeah, the old switcheroo. <laughs> and you know, so maybe I've just watched too many of these over the years, but I just I was kind of going through and going, yeah, okay, yeah, this is a pretty typical. This plot. probably oh, this was very- covered. This probably was covered in another like uh, Raymond Chandler. <laughs> You know, he probably reuses plots a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was clever, you know, Mm. clever. You know, we got a little double switch there. But if you weren't paying close enough attention and you you missed the name of the hotel that they mentioned at the beginning, which is the Hotel Rex, when later on Mm -hmm. when the guy says the Hotel Bennett, you're going to miss that he's actually not the guy he's supposed to protect. It's such a little detail. And when I heard it, I was like, "Uh uh-huh, wait, maybe that guy's not the accountant? Or is he? And then later well, on, right I figured as, it out. But honestly, as soon as he showed up at the guy's office, I was like, "Wait a minute! You're not supposed to show up at his office. He's supposed to come to your hotel. Oh. So who the hell are you? You know?" But as I said, I've I've seen a lot of these things over the years. I mean, I'm not a big fan necessarily, but uh, you know, they're okay. Mm. And um, I, I thought it had some nice twists and stuff. I wasn't expecting him to get caught and beaten up at the um. At the end, there. Don't they always get? But then I remembered. I said, don't they always get beaten up? The detectives. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah hard, hard-boiled detective. He needs to get, you know, beaten up. I'd forgotten about that. The name of this episode is the pencil because the mob accountant 
he's been like siphoning off money or, or something, right? And they put his name on the list and then they cross it off with a pencil and then they mail the pencil yeah. to him. Yeah. I didn't think that was a thing. I've never heard of that. Yeah. yeah. It must just be specific to that mob group. I think maybe. Although although they said, yeah, you know what a pencil means, yeah? Yeah. Everybody knows what a pencil is. Yeah, it's a <laughs> thing you write with. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that one. <laughs> no, no. You know what a love letter is? It's a bullet from a gun. <laughs> so all Marlo had to do was get the guy out of the country, right? Yeah. And he couldn't have just put him in a car and driven him to the border? Where were not. they? Were they in L.A.? <laughs> I think they were in L.A. I want to say did. L.A. because you, Usually there... Chandler takes place in L.A. Yeah. That's that's his city of choice. But even if it was – even if they were in Kansas – Marlo could solve all this by putting him in a car and driving him, even if it took several days, to get to yeah. the border. I, was... I mean, it seems like, especially in those days when, you know, there were no credit card, you know, you couldn't trace tr- credit cards or, and you know, there were no cameras, you know, pointed at different places and all of that. He probably wouldn't even need a passport to get into Canada or no. Mexico. Uh... All you needed was a birth certificate. So I, I just feel like he could have even put him on a p- plane, like a commercial plane. Like, it just feels like there's a, there's a lot of easy outs here, and it ended up being extremely convoluted for no particular yeah. reason. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like it, it seemed like there were a lot of ways out in those days, but, um, you yeah. know, then there wouldn't have been a story. I guess not. Well, his mode of, his preferred mode of transportation is obviously a ship, so... <laughs> Although he flew to L.A. from New York. Mm. so uh, But they were apparently on the plane with him. Why they didn't just kill him at that point, I don't know. But They weren't ready yet. Yeah. Had to build themselves up to it. <laughs> I, I, I found myself, think, you know, Chandler's been done so often that it's really, really hard to do without coming off really trite and then having been done to death. Mm-hmm. I found a TV review here where it says the productions are so obviously taken with Chandler's hard bit and tough guy style that they keep threatening to topple into parody. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just the genre. Yeah, but I don't know. I still I enjoyed it though. It's did you? Yeah, that's good. That's it's good. Fine. It's it was okay. So we watched Maximum Security first. Oh. <laughs> well, and yeah. I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this other one. I don't know how it's going to be. But then we started yeah. watching. It's like, yeah, no, it's it's a lot better, a lot better. Yeah. I, I'm I like, agree. Yeah, I agree. If I had watched them the other way around, I know ne- I didn't get all the way through Maximum Security. I will no, no. I mean, I only got an hour and eleven minutes in, and I I was ready to like gouge out my eyeballs. But uh-huh. <laughs> um, I I would have ro- watched the whole thing, but I just ran out of time. Um. And then for some reason, I just did not go rushing back to it um, to squeeze it in before we started this podcast. I well, we'll get to that one a little bit later. But yes, Philip Marlowe does come off a lot better. Yeah, it's better, like, production-wise, I think it's better. The The pacing is better. Um, the plot it's more interesting better. to watch, yeah. Again, I don't, like, I don't like prison stories that much, so yeah. <laughs> the characterizations, I mean, the characterizations... You know, as I say, Chandler's been done so many times that the characterizations in a Chandler story, to be true to Chandler, you've got to, you know, have a certain amount of this, this 
tone and and attitude and you know these characters that you've seen a dozen times but um i've seen it done better let's put it that way but it wasn't horrible or anything no it wasn't horrible it but it it was very on the nose like yeah the I haven't music, watched that. the dialogue. We'll talk about the dialogue in a sec, but Matt, go ahead. <laughs> I haven't watched that many detective, like, you know, stereotypical noir, like noir, noir detective yeah. stories, so I, I liked it. You told mm-hmm. us you I didn't did. like Chinatown, though. No, I didn't. I just didn't like the ending. He didn't like the <laughs> ending, and we've argued about this several times, and we're not going to get into that, because <laughs> I argue with him every time. I don't agree with his I like, opinion. I like the uh, voiceover narration in this. In this one? In the, Well, in any... Any detective story, yeah. which I don't know if Chinatown had, did it? I've only um, seen it one. I can't remember now, but yeah, I can't remember now. It just seems like it ought to have had it. Yeah, yeah. even I Jessica like... Jones has the narration, mm-hmm. the yeah. hard-boiled like, detective I like, narration. I like the noir genre. I think it's it's a good. I always liked the narration in Dex- yeah. Dexter and stuff. And yeah, people, lo- other people don't. Yeah, I like, I like detective stories a lot. I think they're they're fun to watch. Mm. In general, I don't prefer voiceovers, but I like them in this because it's part of the, it's part of the concept, the noir mm-hmm. concept. You got it. You gotta have it, right? Yeah, yeah, you've got to have it. Totally. Don Luigi was sweetening the pot. He could use a man like me, but I'd made that look in his eye, and he meant what he said. Nova Caro, and one day my pencil would arrive. The mob was like an octopus. And the octopus could wait for years if it had to. And one day in the street... Hello, Marlowe. You want me and a couple of the boys should follow him? Where can he go? He'll deliver. The only way to deal with an octopus is to forget the tentacles. Go right for the head. And to do that, you need a harpoon. I didn't have a harpoon, but maybe I had something else. It was a hell of a gamble, but I didn't have any choice. Some of my favorites here. How are you fixed for time? Busier than a flea and a fat lady. (laughs) Too many metaphors. It was funny, though. You're so bright, I can see you in the dark. It's just it's just one after the other, and I was like, this- yeah. There's, there's a canary <laughs> was, in your yeah. office, and he's singing to the mob. <laughs> it's so great. It's so cheesy. I love it. <laughs> there was one. Most of the time, that was fine. There was that one point when he first went into the detective's office, right at the beginning, and there were like three of them in a row. I know. I was like, <laughs> okay, too much. <laughs> I thought that was great. What did this line mean? Next time, get married in the morning, and you won't have wasted the whole day. Yeah, I don't know that so one. Did, I think because... What? I, I think because... Next time, get married in the morning, and you won't have wasted the whole day. Well, then she would have found out earlier that... Yeah, because her marriage... Gonna... La- apparently, her marriage lasted very short time. Yeah, because, you know, if you get married in the evening, well, then you end up sleeping with the guy. <laughs> Maybe that's what he meant. Like, you well, know... I think, I think it's more like you would spend the whole day, you know, getting yeah, ready to get married, get married... Out. And then by the end of the day, you find out that it's, you know, and you're ready for divorce. If you get married in the morning, you find out right away. And then you've got the whole rest of the day. Yeah. That's the way I took it. That's. (laughs) All right. 
<laughs> By the way, Miss Ms. Yeager, the one that he was talking to when he said that, she. why do I know her so well? Anybody? The actress? Yeah. Or Miss Yeager. Miss, who's Miss Yeager again? The uh, grumpy lady. Oh, the, the lady. Oh, the lady that got yeah. married. Yeah. She looks I know I've seen her in a bunch of You know what she stuff. reminded me of, though? She was, like, totally a Trixie character. Trixie? Yeah. Hmm. Don't you guys think? Yeah. Just kind of like like the way she freaked out. It just reminded me of Trixie. <laughs> Her name is Lucy Lee Flippin. Flippin. <laughs> yep, Flippin. Flippin. Okay. Um, I should look her up. Because... Still alive? No, nineteen. Only born nineteen forty three. So so pretty young. I know she... she's been stuff. Yeah. That I'm, I'm trying to remember what. Just a lot of television programs. Nothing really that recent, but. Uh, played Eliza Jane Wilder in Little House on the Prairie. That's probably where I. Oh, that's episodes. probably it. Yeah, it's probably where I notice or remember her from. <laughs> she was on a show called Flow in the '80s about a former Arizona waitress buying a rundown Texas bar. I used to watch Flow. She played Fran. <laughs> she played Fran Castleberry. Okay, I don't remember it that well, but probably is probably one of the places. Yeah, Flow was a good show. She appeared as the third obscene phone caller in the X-rated film The Telephone Book. Oh. No comment. I've not heard of that one. Bonus episode. Um. <laughs> uh, two more great uh, lines here I've got here. He sounded like a chainsaw with asthma. And then my very favorite one, he was as jumpy as a kangaroo on a trampoline. <laughs> so many of them. Well, why don't we uh, read Harold's feedback for this one? Maybe give us some oh, yeah. extra talking points here. Harold writes, Thanks to Matt for posting these shows so I could see them. I don't have an HBO subscription, but I'll try to watch these pilots if there are alternative ways to see them. If the truest test of a pilot is whether it makes you want to watch another episode, I'd say that Maximum Security did a better job as a pilot than Marlowe, and that is because no. it had oh. characters that were interesting and worth coming back for. No. Okay. Ooh. Let's skip ahead to what he talks about Marlowe. <laughs> we'll come back to his maximum security comments. Yeah. He yeah. says, It has been a while, but I have read all the Raymond Chandler novels and most of the short stories, but I don't remember the pencil. I see that it was one of, if not the last Marlowe story, so maybe it wasn't included in the collection I read. I thought that the Marlowe pilot was passable, but in thinking about it, here are my biggest problems with it. Number one, the reason Marlowe works better in the movies than a TV show was that the character in the books didn't have much of a character arc. A little, but not much. His main traits were that he was uncorruptible, persistent. He was an uncorruptible, persistent detective who could take a beating and never stop delivering wisecracks. Not much character development, though, which is what you look for in a series. At least nowadays you do. Hmm. I wouldn't look for that in that type of show. I I wouldn't because it's it's just that's how that's what those that's what noir is. It's always you get like usually you get that uncorruptible guy and you get the story around it. I don't know. I just accept it as that's the way it is for me anyways. I'm just you're looking you're not watching for character development for those. You're more looking at the detective story unfold. Right. That's the point of interest in those, I think. Uh, and I, how he I might outsmart the bad guys. Yeah, exactly. It's all about... Even though he's outnumbered and down on his out. luck and he gets beaten up and you, he pulls out a win somehow. That's, yeah. 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 And, and it's that, but it's that particular character that is pulling out that win. And the character is pretty much always the same 
guy. And I mean, there's just a bunch of archetypes, you know, and it's like, how is that particular character going to do this? Um, and it, of course, they make it a little more interesting because like when you said uncorruptible, Chandler's characters are not always, you know, Marlowe is not always uncorruptible. He's like on the edge there. So there's always that question, is he actually going to, um, is he actually going to betray somebody? You don't think so, because that's usually out of character for him. But at the same time, he's not going to necessarily do what would be considered the noble thing. I mean, he did get, he did work on getting those guys killed. Yeah. Right. Oh, you mean, are you talking about like all the guys at the end? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was their choice. They opened fire on the police. Yeah. <laughs> they should have just surrendered. But he did orchestrate them to meet, didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah. He, he pulled the strings so that they would have the conflict. With the yeah, police. I mean, he was he Mom? was doing things in a very kind of uh, semi shady way, and uh, you know, not exactly not exactly a Boy Scout. Oh, yeah, I but think no, he's ahead. not a cop. He's a he's a private eye. He's got a right. You know, that's that's what private eyes do. Mm. Yeah, he's his. You know, he has he has his own moral code. <laughs> Honestly, like he's Batman. <laughs> yeah, all those those the deaths that resulted, like he didn't like mean for that to happen. Like those people shouldn't have opened up on those cops. Those assassins shouldn't have been he so just, itchy trigger fingers. You know what it was though? It's that he figures he he knows what they're like, anyways. So he knows that they'll take care of their themselves. Honest? You know that like this problem will take care of itself if I push it in the right direction yeah but uh-huh yeah but the exactly. the thing that he did on purpose was he did but he, yeah he, you're right he didn't mean for that uh, that double guy like the guy in the hotel to get shot like i don't think yeah. he meant for that to happen i think it just did the yeah he, i i don't think he cried about it though no he didn't obviously didn't the but thing I mean, he did on purpose though was uh at the end no was oh. um when he got captured or no, the guy came to kill him, and he took the guy's gun, and then they went to see the dawn. Oh and, yeah! And he he's like, uh, he got he got out of them searching him so uh-huh. that uh, they wouldn't find that guy's gun on him because that that would make that guy lose lose face in front of all of his, you know, mm-hmm. his peers. And then like when he gets to the dawn, the big guy himself, he takes out that guy's gun and reveals that that guy lost his gun. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, a bigger play right there, though. <laughs> Don mm-hmm. Luigi, who didn't have much of in the way of expressions or enunciation, and he, and he, did, <laughs> oh, he was a kind of a mumbler. And he didn't, but you know, and he he's didn't, the re- Marlon Brando style, you know. <laughs> he didn't really look Italian to me. <laughs> he looked like a Brit. <laughs> yeah, he looked like a British banker. It was weird. How did it come you end up with his gun? It's a dangerous toy for a little boy. Tell me, Mr. Marlowe, what is your problem? You want Vaccaro and I want ten grand. Would you call that a problem? Man never knows when he's going to inherit one. Ten thousand? A lot of money. That's why I want it. You'll sell him for that to your own client? Vaccaro means about as much to me as Long John Silver's wooden leg, but... Unless I miss my guess, he means a whole lot more to you. Mr. Marlowe, you're an intelligent man. 
$10,000 not difficult. What is important to me is certainty. This man I have to have, I will pay you when you deliver. You must trust me. There's a question on the IMDb who, from a person who asks, why was there such a big gap between seasons? The question reads, I just recently started watching this, and I'm wondering why there's not only such a big three-year gap between seasons one and two, but also so many other changes. The opening music is different, the titles are different, the whole style, and even the way Booth plays Marlowe seems different. What the heck happened? Anyone know? I enjoyed season one much more, frowny face. Answer. As far as I know, it's because the first series was an English-American co-production between David Wicks and HBO, while the second series was a Canadian-American co-production. While the first was filmed in studio in England and on location in California, the second was filmed in studio in Canada and on location in Florida. Hence, nothing fits except Powers Booth. Personally, I heartily disliked the main titles of the first series. Those in the second series had that noir feeling. But the first series had better action sequences and production values. When you move things to Canada in the 80s, it usually goes downhill. <laughs> <laughs> but if they filmed their, their in, like, in set stuff uh, in England, that would explain why they might have had like a British actor playing Yeah, everything the from the moment I saw the guy, everything just screamed to me, Brit. <laughs> That's why he was mumbling. He was trying to hide his British accent. <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, his name was Bruce Boa. He was born in Calgary, but died in Surrey, England. Oh, uh-huh. so, so what, like a Canadian? Canadian, but, yeah. Technically Canadian, but yeah. who knows when he moved to but, England. Yeah, he He's like been... uh, Callum Keith Rennie, but in re- in reverse. <laughs> Crazy. Um, I think part of the plot was that he was trying to expose a mole in the police department, right? Yeah. So yeah. that could explain some of his elaborate schemes. They didn't really say true. how he exposed that mole, though, did they? No, they didn't. They just, they, um, I guess, you know, when they did that, I thought, okay, I guess they put together the fact that, you know, he was the one who had the, the note and, uh, and all of that. But, you know, they didn't really go into how they uncovered who it was. Hmm. Harold's next observation is Marlowe's personal code of honor is important in these stories, but they didn't emphasize it in the episode. They should have done that to explain that that the code. They should have done that to explain that is code. Why he protected the client and crossed the mob boss. Otherwise, I'm left to wonder why he would gamble away his life in order to save one client that he barely knows. Yeah, I I, I understand that. Uh problem with the show because it did seem a little odd that he kind of jumped to this guy's like what made him trust this one particular guy mm. over everybody else yeah we hadn't learned enough about him so yeah I, I like i genuinely didn't know if he was going to take the mob up on their deal to turn the guy over to him mm. but i guess that's part of the mystery you don't know where he's gonna go mm-hmm. yeah yeah especially since a little bit oh sorry go no that's okay they're introducing the character for those people who don't know the character Right, it works really well in the pilot because you don't know who Philip Marlowe is or what – if you know the character, but you may not know this interpretation, so maybe you are wondering, is he going right. to take the $10,000 and give the snitch to the to Don Luigi? <laughs> did uh, – what did you guys – oh, well, I guess you should – is Harold's email is probably not done yet. Uh, no, there's more. <laughs> 
<laughs> Number three. Why call a mob boss Don Luigi and hire an actor who doesn't look Italian and doesn't try to give you that impression? And how did Marlo know that the Don would show up for the hit? He seemed more like a hands, hands-off, stay-in-his-home-office type of boss. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't know why he's there at the ship. That makes no sense. Yeah. I think he said something about you know, giving him to me personally. But, you know, it's like, okay, does that mean that he only figured out that plan when Don Luigi specifically said, you'll give it to, give him to me personally at the ship tonight? I don't know. Hmm. It's a lot of things have to, had to happen just right for things to work out for him. Yeah. Um, Harold says the episode should have ended with Marlo opening that gift and seeing the pencil that would have set up a running B plot with Marlo in fear for his life. Instead, they ruin it by having it be a joke. Also, Marlo was never that close with cops in the stories. The cop saw him as the guy who was horning in on their cases or messing with someone who was paying them off. So it was wrong, wrong, wrong to end the episode, not only with the cop and Marlo, but with their date sitting down for a meal, laughing at the pencil and not taking the mob threat seriously. No, I don't agree with that. Um, I don't really know the stories or the character, so I don't care that they're not showing an animosity between him and the cops. If they want to be frenzies, whatever. That's this show's I, interpretation. Yeah, and I think I think these usually were more meant to be like one-offs, usually. So I feel like you wouldn't have a running thread of like that fear of a mob mob boss like catching up to you or whatever yeah back back in the early 80s they weren't doing a lot of um, yeah it wasn't that type of show back then it wasn't like there's no continuation it's just like no we got to tie it up like you know neat little bow move on to the story move on to the next story because we're not going to deal with a mob boss next next episode we're going to deal with something like a dame you know it's going to be a dame next episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah dame yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the um I I know I've read some of the the books or the stories, but it was a long long time ago. Mostly I've just seen, you know, the movies made a bigger impression on me, and of course yeah. those are those are an interpretation too. And generally in the movies, the police are part of the problem rather than, you know, and they're they're used kind of like some of the chess pieces in the in the game, you know, it's like, okay, um, I can use the police here to solve my problem with this person. Kind of like he did at the end with everybody, you know, coming in and uh, taking out Don Luigi and his his pals. Well, even if they had back in the 80s decided to, to make this a, like a long-running serialized, super serialized, there's like a big bad for the season kind of guy who's maybe lurking in the shadows or whatever. He's out to get Marlo and it's like a long term storyline. I don't think that Don Luigi was the character that we would want to see as that antagonist for an entire series. He didn't have any gravitas. Well, plus Mm -hmm. he wasn't going to go to jail for like 30 years anyways. So true. But if they decided to have him be absent from the ship and, and send Marlo the pencil. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think that that character, that actor was that worthwhile of, as a villain that I would want to see more of him. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think that the, the, like, I think it's probably like Harold's expectations of it are a lot different than what my personal expectations of it were anyways. Like, yeah, I feel like Harold, you're like expecting it to be 
like the, current or whatever yeah. it is not, you current. know yeah yeah and i get that i totally get that because you know like we're spoiled now <laughs> we're spoiled with like really like intricate storylines um mel have you seen any of the old movies uh yeah i remember when i was a teenager watching the humphrey bogart one but okay. it's been a long time right so right I- don't really remember it very well i just remember i remember watching a lot of humphrey bogart as a teenager because i i liked it but yeah i was just looking at some of the chandler movies and i you know i had i had forgotten which ones he did a lot of screenplays back in the 40s so he was apparently the one that wrote the screenplay for double indemnity and uh for um strangers on a train yeah and a lot of other real classic 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 movies yeah uh, so you, the Humphrey Bogart one was at the Big Sleep, or did you say? Yeah. That? Okay. Okay. Yeah, big Sleep. He uh, actually did a couple. He did um, Big Sleep, and there was another one that he did. Uh, it could be. Well, let's just maybe Harold will answer your question because he has one last sentence here. I know you didn't ask for my opinion, but here it is anyway. I think that the best Marlowe film is The Big Sleep, but Bogart is basically playing his Sam Spade character from the Maltese Falcon. My Pretty favorite Marlowe yeah. is Dick Powell in Murder My Sweet. Mm. Oh, <laughs> Dick Powell was awfully good. I, that's an interesting. I don't remember seeing Dick Powell and. Uh, Never saw that one. No. These have no. great titles, though. I love the titles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love the dialogue. It's super cheesy, but it's still it's great. And the music was really good in this too. Like it was yeah. again very on the nose and cliche, but but still fun. <laughs> I really enjoyed the music. It is fun. Yeah. That's that's the whole point of noir i feel it's just fun it's just fun to watch yeah i mean i it was fine yeah, <laughs> yeah I, know, I know carol you're like uh it's not the best <laughs> it, no no i mean you know i didn't hate it or anything i, I it was interesting to watch and all, i just i i felt like and again it was a pilot so i don't know how they developed it i just felt like marlo was a little too dour you know there was yes he's supposed to be <laughs> Mm. but it was just kind of like you didn't ha- get anything happening under the surface with him you know mm-hmm. it was just like okay he's dour well that goes to harold's point that there's no character here yeah yeah i i felt there was not enough dimension to i mean marlo yes he's you can play him as a cardboard car- cutout or you can try and you know take what's there and do a little more with him and i uh I, I did feel like that performance really, you know, didn't quite make it for so me. So you didn't like Powers Booth as Philip Marlowe? Not much. I mean, I didn't hate him or anything. I just didn't really feel like I was a little bored by him. You know what I thought did work for him was his looks. I thought his looks really fit that 40s movie oh. star. Oh, here here's something. I looked up how old Powers Booth was in the, during this, and he's like 35. In that? Yeah. What? Crazy. He looks younger. Yeah, he does look younger. You reminded me a little bit of like a young what? Orson Welles. He looks younger? I was going to say he looked like he was 45. No, not even. No, I thought he or looked... He, to me, he looked like a, a young Orson Welles. I really? mean, I didn't think he looked super yeah, thought, young. Because I'm 35 I mean, and I feel like I look way younger than he looked in that. And I think Matt also looks way younger <laughs> than, than 35. Than, I look no. about 16. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't think he looked like he was 45. I didn't think so either. I thought he looked like he was maybe 30. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Not my read at all. No. Yeah. 
<laughs> Maybe it's the pants. He was wearing his pants quite high, so that might age him. <laughs> well, that, that was 1930s. That's, you know. I know, I know. How they wore them. I know. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to read this review then? This uh, TV review from. Don't mind reading it. All right, I'll post post it in there. Since we don't have any other feedback than the one from Harold, this can this thank is like, you, Harold. This is like faux yes, feedback. Thanks. Um, okay, TV review for new adaptations of Marlowe on HBO by John O'Connor, published May first, nineteen eighty six. Home box offices. Philip Marlowe, Private Eye, is just good enough to keep you wishing it were better. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what uh, that seems. What yeah, that's what we've been saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The series, based on stories by Raymond Chandler, had a brief run on the pay cable service in 1983 and is now returning with four new hour-long adaptations over the next several weeks. Starring Powers Booth, uh, which they list like his credits, The Emerald Forest, television's Guiana Tragedy. (laughs) There we go. Jonestown. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, So starring Powers Booth as Marlowe. The productions are so obviously taken with Chandler's hard-bitten, tough-guy style that they keep threatening to topple into parody. Chandler, we didn't even need to talk about this. This guy's just saying everything. (laughs) (laughs) Chandler, of course, is uh, no stranger to film treatment, having himself written original scripts for The Big Sleep and Lady in the Lake, and the screenplays for Double Indemnity and Strangers on a Train. (laughs) Yep, we didn't need to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) the world of his philip marlowe is still an intriguing place to visit steeped in the gloom of the depression years while wandering through the streets of the tinsel town called los angeles marlowe's uniform of rumpled suit and fedora set off occasionally with trench coat set the fashion for following generations of private detectives never laughing and rarely smiling marlowe ambles from case to case convinced that all in all it's a lousy world Most of the women who inevitably find him broodingly attractive are either schemers or pathetic victims. Annie wasn't. No, she wasn't. No. I thought she was I thought she was awesome, by the way. I know you you, Matt according to Matt, she was awesome because she wrote an elevator or something. (laughs) No, she wrote an elevator with killers. Oh. Okay. (laughs) She can ride in an elevator. She trailed Go these guys. Ladies. She trailed these guys from the airport to their hotel and even rode in the elevator with them and didn't tip them off. And she wanted to keep going. She was like, I want to do more. I yeah. Mean, like, well, well, yeah. I thought it, she was pretty great. Yeah. Well, she, wait a minute. You say she didn't tip them off, but isn't that, I mean, I assume that uh, the guy who came into Marlo right after had followed her back to the, back to his office. Maybe. I don't know. But, although yeah, he didn't I, need to because they'd already sent the, the double there. So. Yeah, I thought she kind of made his character a little bit better, like her being there. Love the soft focus on her. Yeah, the so- that soft. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have to have the soft focus. You oh have- yeah, yeah, that was amazing. It's obligatory for noirs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the women are either schemers or pathetic victims. Apparently, well, yeah, we've only you, seen this. So maybe she doesn't show up in the other ones, and that would have been a waste. And uh, that's sad because I liked her character. Well, didn't Harold say that this is one of the la- one of his last stories? So maybe he'd become. Oh, maybe he got himself a woman. Well, you know, I don't really understand uh, how these were released because, according to the IMDb, uh, the next one 
is called do, 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 do. hold on just a moment <laughs> Spanish blood I think that's what the IMDB has for the next one but according to okay. this article this review this is like the second season like more episodes have been released and they're saying that the next installment is Spanish blood so I don't know the order that like the true hmm. order in which they aired so they could have easily brought uh, Annie back they didn't mm. have to they didn't have to stick strictly to the source material. Yeah. No, but you know, I mean, I don't know if if Annie was in the the story, but you know, if Harold's right, the story was written when the last stories Chandler wrote, then that would have been well into the late fifties, and and um, oh, never know, mind, I was wrong. Have your eyes <laughs> quite opened up? So wrong? No, I was wrong. That- the the next episode, according to IMDb, is the King in Yellow. Okay. Oh, okay. So, looks like between. This one, and then the one they're talking about now, there would be one, two, three, four, at least four four episodes between the pilot and this next season. So in that time, maybe there wasn't another character like Annie. Maybe all the female characters were victims or shady. Well, I had thought that this reviewer, I'm sorry, I misunderstood what you were saying, because I thought this reviewer was just talking about Chandler in general, not necessarily oh. about Series. I was trying to fit his comments into the TV show and trying to understand where he gets the opinion that the female characters at the show itself are less than optimal. Yeah, I thought he was talking about because he's talking. The previous paragraph starts off with Chandler is no stranger, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and he's talking about Chandler and the world of Philip Marlowe. So I thought he was talking about it in general and not necessarily about this series but maybe it'll be more clear as we go down the paragraph okay yeah (laughs) we should let let the poor bastard finish his review (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna we've talked about the women we're gonna talk about the men now and the men except for a handful of noble losers (laughs) are corrupt especially those in power hey somebody protests to marlo you're talking about the city attorney not some hoodlums he responds witheringly there's a difference (laughs) (laughs) Marlowe exists undiluted in a hardened shell of sentimentality. (laughs) These stories... What? Sorry? A hardened shell of sentimentality. Yeah. Interesting phrase. Yeah. These stories produced in Canada by Paragon Motion Picture Productions, I've never heard of this, have the quintessential Marlowe ingredients. Blackmailers Don't Shoot, which can be seen tonight at 11 o'clock on HBO, finds the detective working on a blackmail case involving the beautiful movie star Rhonda Farr, who is played by Melody Anderson, who is about to enter a passionless marriage with the big studio mogul David Byrne, Peter Dvorsky. The suspicious cast of characters includes, gussied up with typical Chandler names, a passel of hoodlums called Lucky Landry, Johnny Tango, and Slippy Morgan. What, no piano? (laughs) What, no piano Piano legs? legs, Hickman? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the script by jeremy hole jesse lasky and pat silver retains most of the right notes even if scattered haphazardly but the pacing of the film directed by alan king is off as it self-consciously underlines what is already apparent the next installment spanish blood which (laughs) which goes on the hbo schedule this sunday at 8 p.m is more successful if only because the script by mr hole and george markstein works with a more interesting story. Helping his former best girl, Belle, Helen Shaver, 
celebrate the 10th anniversary of her marriage to Spanish de la Guerra. <laughs> his Ooh. best friend. Is that his name? Spanish de la Guerra? <laughs> yeah, apparently. He's their kid Spanish. <laughs> His best friend and now a prominent fighter against corruption in the top political circles, Marlo soon discovers that Spanish, I guess that is his name, has been murdered. <laughs> there is no question about Marlo's taking on the case. I owed it to him, he explains. A guy who could take your girl and almost make you like it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's heavy. Still, as far as Belle is concerned, he says, 10 years hadn't made any difference in the way I felt about her. Although he should perhaps look a bit more lean and hungry, Mr. Booth creates an emotionally convincing Marlowe. His private eye prefers to be an objective observer rather than a soiled participant, but when pushed, he leaves no doubt about who is in charge. Dark, dour, almost sullen, but not quite sour, this Marlowe would have been would have had Raymond Chandler's approval. Hmm. Interesting. I thought he was fine. Yeah, I thought he was fine. Yeah, he was okay. Again, I thought they picked the right look for the part. I thought he looked the part. Yeah, he did look the part. Um, you know, I mean, you know, he wasn't terrible or anything. I just, I would have liked a little bit more dimension to him. Mm. Not, you know, not a lot. Because it's Philip Marlowe, but. Does anyone have any other notes? Um, he's very lucky that that guy who works at the dock was, like, honorable. <laughs> And, like, helped him out at the end, even after being shaken down by the mob and physically assaulted. I guess he just wanted to get back at the get the bad guys. Maybe. I'll show maybe, them. Maybe going forward, that guy's a recurring character or something. Oh, and uh, when, uh, when the young mob guy held him up in his office, he turned around so slow when he, like, <laughs> sure knocked he that did. gun out of his hand. That would have been oh, plenty yeah. of time to shoot him. Oh yeah, the the fight sequence, the shaky cam. Yeah. It was so low budget. The the first person it was like a first person POV shot, and they just shook the camera around so that we didn't actually have to see um, Powers Booth taking any like actual blows. And then we just see him <laughs> kind of flailing around. So it's like they didn't actually have to um, incorporate any stunt work or effort or choreography. It was like, well, we'll just we'll just have some guys kind of like pretend. Where he's he's being hit, and we'll just shake the camera around from his perspective. Like. <laughs> That's one thing that has just, you know, uh, the difference between fight scenes from you know thirty years ago and before that and now is just so amazingly different. Well, here they didn't even try. <laughs> yeah, well, they barely tried a lot. <laughs> Fair. Fair I mean, point. And it's it's a there's a lot of really sad, sad fight scenes from back in the day. Um, I think they just didn't have any idea to how to film them in a convincing way. Plus fighting was different. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, you know, it's like judo, what's judo, you know, martial arts, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, it's some kind of thing, you know, Japanese thing or Chinese thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, Oh, Okay. Um, on, you know, the Green Hornet, Kato and all that, that was like very exotic. And when Kung Fu came out, whoa, yeah. so, yeah. yeah, you look at it now, it's, it's, I try just to kind of blank out my mind when those scenes come up. 
<laughs> well, no other notes? Um, when he first went to Annie's place, I thought it was going to turn into a porno because she <laughs> answered the door in that outfit. And I was like, whoa, that seems risque for like a 40s. Yeah. <laughs> Bared midriff. Yeah. I was like, whoa. And then she invited him in. I was like, okay. I don't know where this is going. I thought it was maybe reckless of Marlo to bring the snitch to her place. To her oh, yeah. home. She seems to have such a, such a, like a place that's so, so out of the way, like. And he seemed to be quite careful about, like, you know, saying later about how he drove for an hour to make sure he wasn't being followed. Yeah. I guess, but still, it feels kind of strange. It's still putting her in danger. Yeah. Yeah, but she likes it. She likes the danger. But as far as uh, the style, the bare midriff and stuff, there was a whole style from the 30s. Yeah, I guess I just haven't seen a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, just, I just, like, you... I feel like you didn't see it very much in noir films anyways. Like, usually women were quite fully dressed. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. 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 Because they, there That's was why certain... I thought it was odd. Well, because most of the... She's a very different character from yeah. most she's noir. She's not your usual noir character. No. No. I haven't actually... that. Yeah, I hadn't really seen that character in, in noir, to be honest. That's... Yeah. It's... Like, usually women, you've got the... You know, the hard-edged, you know, good gal who'll help you out in a pinch kind of thing. And, like, all right, heart of gold type thing, kind of brassy. Or you've got the exotic, mysterious woman of some sort. And, you know, and she's got the, the suit on and the hat and mm-hmm. and she's in trouble or she's, you know, whatever. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. you don't usually get oh you know yeah i'm lounging at home come on in yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well she's his girl friday right mm-hmm. the girl yeah. the girl you that you can count on is gonna take care of stuff for you but never yeah. gets any credit yeah, <laughs> well, yeah but usually the end. <laughs> usually that character doesn't have the the soft side that is like oh i'm doing this like i'm an amateur sleuth and you know, I mean, like when she said, oh, my dad was a cop. Mm. I'm like, OK, there you have normally that character would be a pretty hard edged, you know, in most noir, she'd be a pretty hard edged. You know, I know how it is kind of kind of gal, you know, as opposed to, oh, I'm ooh, le- yeah, this looks like fun. Let me help because she came off more as a. um kind of not spoiled but sort of uh, entitled sort of you know wealthier sort of character that was you know in it for a lark type thing which i i don't associate with noir Mm. yeah i'm getting you out on a freighter hong kong it sails at midnight were you tailed not recently want me to go with no i could drive no well should we rank this one rate it Rather, oh, sure. I liked it. I liked it better than maximum security. That's tipping my hand, but whatever. Yeah, that's um, fine. Well, <laughs> you gotta you gotta have a a starting point before you, we start, you know, comparing things against each other. So that's just do we have any. do we have a scale or anything? Oh, one to ten. One to ten. Yeah. Um. It was. Yeah, I liked it. It wasn't. There wasn't anything that was too bad in it. I mean. 
it wasn't spectacular either, so I'll give it a 7 out of 10 fat lips. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a 7 as well. I'll give it a 7 out of 10 kangaroos on trampolines. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a, a 7 out of 10 delightfully overdone meta- metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with a 6 out of 10... Um, um, I don't, um, um, <laughs> high-waisted pants with suspenders. <laughs> okay. Would anyone watch another episode? I would if I didn't have anything else to do. Any, anything yeah. else to do, but I usually do, so. Right, right. Well, I think uh, that's going to be our qualifier, which is, would you watch, assuming you had the time, would you watch another one? If it was on Netflix, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I think I might as well. I think I would want to watch one from the second season to see how it compares. Yeah. You want to watch the Canadian bad production values one? (laughs) Well, I would want to know if he's playing the character different or uh, what the new theme and titles look like and, yeah, what the production looks like. Uh, It's from California to Florida. Like, does that stand out? Um, And I would probably pick... If they gave me, like, descriptions of what the episodes were about, like little plot descriptions, which the IMDb does not for the second season, doesn't have that info, I would try and find the one that had the most promising plot synopsis. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of production, for these period pieces, I always wonder how hard it is to find, like, all the cars and the furniture and stuff that's period accurate. Like, there must be, like, people who make crazy amounts of money just by, like, keeping an old car in good shape and then having movie studios like rent their car or something. Mm. Yes, there are. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably a whole business. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, uh, our, had our Plymouth registered for a while. We, we have 61 Plymouth. Mm. Um, and you know, she had that registered for a while, but it, uh, it got in an accident before anything, we were able to do anything with it. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. It's actually still sitting my parents garage well let's move on to the next pilot maximum security which was released in 1984 it started as a 45 minute pilot and then it was picked up for an additional uh smattering of episodes the Lincoln Heights jail in Los Angeles, which is abandoned jail, I guess. And that was used as its set. And it was produced by Ron Howard and Tony Gans. And 
publicity statement, uh, tough and realistic portrayal of life behind bars, though leavened with humor. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I'm going to disagree with a uh, realistic <laughs> depiction yeah. of life behind bars. And, and yeah. tough? No. Especially... Like, especially for maximum security, supposedly, right. like, this looks like minimum security to me. There's, like, no yeah. uniforms. People are mingling everywhere. There's, like, women walking amongst the prisoners willy-nilly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the prisoners are walking into uh, the, well, she was a psychologist. A At different times, she was the deputy warden. She was the associate warden. She was... Oh, she get, I think was. she gets a promotion. Well, well, here's the, here's the thing. <clears throat> we we watched a like a combination. I don't know. Well, I guess we should say what we all watched. I watched the entire thing, which I believe is five episodes, and we there's no the- break between them. No, there isn't. Right. That's why I kept waiting for a break, and it was like, no, this is just going on. So, how many did you watch, Carol? I watched one hour and 11 minutes worth. Okay, so you watched the first two. Okay. Really? There was only two? <laughs> I thought maybe it was a lot more. It seemed like a lot more. Mm. Mm. So I watched the first two. Okay. And Matt Mel? The first and the last, I guess. Okay. Well, Could- since we've all seen the first one, that uh, gives us the ability to recap the plot. I'm bringing up the old uh, spinner here. You're removing me, right? Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, boo. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll get my uh, my own timer ready here. So uh, I'm going to count down for myself. <laughs> All right, uh, so we're at a prison called Riverdale. Uh, it's supposedly a super max prison, but prisoners <laughs> just wander around like willy-nilly. Um, the, the lead character is named Harry... We find out that his crime is that he got like high on cocaine and stole a car, but he didn't think it was he was stealing a car. I guess he thought it was his car, and he crashes it into a library, um, <laughs> and that's why he goes to Supermax Prison, which again makes no sense because I don't think that's I don't think anyone was killed. So why is he in Supermax Prison uh, anyway? Again, this is not a Supermax Prison. Uh, he's super uh, eager to. Uh, get out of jail. They're telling him he's going to get out of jail. He's going to go before a parole board, but he he uh, does not get parole, so he takes hostages, and then in the next episode, it's all completely forgotten. <laughs> oh, and then there's a uh, character who is going to kill himself by drinking oleander tea. That's the episode. Uh, yep. I had the advantage of having the stopwatch in front of me, so that was a minute yeah. on the dot. <laughs> You're going to have to let somebody else do it next time. I'm going to have to let somebody else do it next time. Thing. You what? did not cover everything. It's as much <laughs> as you can possibly cover in a minute. But he covered the basics. I it. covered the basics. That was the pilot. No mention of Puck. No mention of Puck. No mention of the lady counselor person. <laughs> I don't remember her name. <laughs> uh, I will say that Oz, which Gene is smart. A, I mean, yeah, Gene Smart. Uh, Oz, <laughs> which is the the next prison show uh, that HBO attempts and is really their biggest. Their their first hit because it ran for several seasons 
And all these others that we're covering before we get there are like just a couple episodes here and there. But Oz was like the first one that was a success. Even that one, which is like very gritty and super maxi, prisoners just walk around as they see fit. Very little supervision. It's kind of it's kind of strange. Mm. I also oh, knew I just... that Harry was obviously not going to get out of jail. No, no, he was dumb. He was pretty <laughs> stupid. Yeah, it's it's just frustrating. It was frustrating to watch him kind of unfold as he was just trying to be charming and trying to be funny, and he just wasn't. And he was just trying to charm his way out of every single situation and failing miserably every time. I'm like, no wonder you're in jail, buddy. <laughs> oh, the woman with the awfully long fingernails who was who seemed very evil because she was judging yeah. him oh, yeah. uh like uh you're no you're a criminal and you you abduct yeah. women and you hold them up at gunpoint and you rape them and he's like i've never done any of these things and she was looking at the wrong file and i was originally like oh she's so mean that she's gonna just hold this opinion of all prisoners and just unilaterally declare them all just terrible people and not actually judge him on his own record and history mm. But turns out he's a freak. He takes <laughs> hostages. So she was right. Like she was right for the wrong reasons, but she was right to keep him in jail. He's a wacko. Well, I, I thought he, she was like doing a, a thing where, um, you know, she would say these things and see if he could yep. handle it. And yep, that's he, what I was thinking. Yeah. And if he went crazy, then it shows that, you know, yeah, he's not, he's not this oh, yeah, I've got everything under control and, you know, I'll be able to handle everything. You know, can you even handle somebody telling testing, lies? Testing him, you? testing him. Yeah, I thought yeah, that exactly. might be the case too, but it, I don't know. That seems awfully kind of cruel. Yeah. The and John, thing, they the, jail, the jail was kind of cruel to begin with. Like, they, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, it's just said with, like, I, I don't know. Like, from what I've seen of jail dramas, it's always like that. Mm. Just, like, the the wardens and all these people are just have this position of power over all the prisoners, and they just mm. take full advantage of it. Well, the the other prisoners warned him that the uh, the lady with the green fingernails was particularly devious. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I missed that. Mm. Oh, you missed that? Yeah. How's the boy holding up? Boy's holding up fine, Papa Jack. Thanks for asking. All right, guys. Let's check out the old wardrobe here. Which shirt, Frank? The blue one. That's what I thought. Harry, <laughs> I sure hope you don't get that bitch with the long green fingernails. What's her name, LJ? Emma, that bitch. If you see some long green fingernails curled around your file area, don't even bother to sit down, man, because the bitch is too cold. What kind of question do you think she's going to ask me? Well, well, mostly easy ones, but you got to watch out for the trick questions like, uh, how so? How so? Yeah, they ask you questions like, uh, do you feel you've learned to accept responsibility for what you have done? And you say, yeah. And then the bitch say, how so? And then they ask you things like, uh, where for and, uh, in what respect? Or how you mean. Just all kind of old dumb silly shit like that, Harry, but you got to be ready. But the worst shit is, how so? How so? Well, it sounds like a Chinese question. I mean, if they ask me a Chinese question, I'm not going to answer it. I'll just uh, plead Geneva Convention. <laughs> yeah! 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 Ready to go? Uh, any last minute pointers? Now we're covering everything last night. Just be cool. Obviously, okay, Harry should have seen shows like this before in movies. You're... <laughs> 
when you're, watch when, you're when you're the lead character of a show and you're going up to a, to the parole board, you're not getting out. Why are they getting to get rid of you? You're the protagonist. It really bothers me when characters on TV shows don't know that they're characters on TV shows. But like the fact that he was laughing during that, I was like, "You're really like too sure of yourself. You're not doing. You're not pulling off a really good interview. Like you mm-hmm. shouldn't be laughing. You should be sober and try to be sincere." I really don't like Joker characters. No, well, this particular one was really annoying. Yeah, he was he was annoying all the way through, and yep. he was overplaying it. And... You know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go on. No, you know what this reminded me of was like, I was like, this is like uh, an Orange is the New Black for the 80s. This uh, hairy guy is Piper Chapman. Yep. (laughs) Just as annoying as she is. (laughs) More annoying. I mean, he's invading people's personal space by picking them up and carrying them around and dancing with them. And yeah. Well, especially, I mean, that was the first thing when, when they started that, I was like, what the hell kind of place is this that. A prisoner. I mean, who are the prisoners? Where, you know, I thought when I can't tell they're not wearing uniforms. There was no clear line (laughs) when he came waltzing through there. I'm like, oh, he's not a prisoner. He he works there. And then and then it turned out, yo, he is a prisoner. Okay, that I mean, that made no sense whatsoever. They just wear whatever they want up to and including uh, jean and denim vests with no shirts underneath and (laughs) (laughs) cut off shorts. Was there and a guy they just, that had like a denim cape? Basically, it was a there's a fuck ton of denim in this show. I thought I, thought I, <laughs> I actually thought I saw a guy wearing like an armband, like with the Star of David on it. I was like, what the? <laughs> there's like a black guy with like a like a Jew armband. <laughs> couldn't have it couldn't have been that, but I don't know. What, I'm gonna look for it now. <laughs> oh, you're gonna actually go back through it? Oh my god. Uh-huh. It's it was pretty close to the beginning. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, you know what? One thing I'd like to point out: the incredibly weird opening. Did anybody else find this opening incredibly strange? I don't even really remember it. It it was it had this weird upbeat theme and nostalgic pictures. You know, it was like this very nostalgic-looking black and white pictures with this kind of upbeat, sort of nostalgic theme. It reminded me of the beginning of Cheers or something. Yes, <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, yeah. that was the main, the main titles with the with the yellow background and stuff. It was very eighties. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Saccharin. It was like, what is the show going to be? Like, are we supposed to be empathizing with this, all these criminals? I thought myself, are we supposed to be nostalgic for prison? I mean, because it was all these prison pictures in kind of black and white and a little, you know, and and like, oh, back in the old days, there were these, you know, look at what was around then. And the and the theme music was kind of this little bit of up. It really reminded me of Cheers beginning, you know. Oh, let's go back and talk about this bar where everybody knows your name. Oh, remember when it was like this? (laughs) And Matt I was just like, said, "What the no. hell is this?" Matt just said, "I don't know if you guys are very familiar with it. I guess you probably wouldn't because you're it's American." British. But the, the Matt said it reminded him of uh, Coronation Street. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know about Coronation Street. I do, but I don't remember enough about the, it. The British show. Yes, mm. the title sequence of that show is so memorable, like to the point of like driving you up the wall. <laughs> I'm really more of an Emmerdale. Yeah. <laughs> Diana. 
Yeah, my notes here, it's like, um, who are prisoners? <laughs> no yeah. uniforms. This is maximum security prison. This is more like a high school. They've got female guards, too. Is that yeah, done, is that done that in was... real life? I, I looked that up because I was wondering if... if... I'm mean, sure, yeah, female guards, yes, but are they but supposed I, to be in male showers? Yeah. That's what yeah. I was curious about. Uh, yeah, apparently, really? apparently it's a thing, yeah. Oh, interesting. Hmm. And there have been incidents where uh, female guards have taken advantage of the situation for sex. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, there have been, like, cases against female guards for abuse because mm. they're in a position of power. But, yep. uh, yeah, there's really no... They don't really separate them. Because I thought I it was strange when, when Jean Smart said, you know, you're a female guard. I can't make exceptions for you. You're guarded at a, at a men's prison. You're going to have to be everywhere where they are. And I thought, that seems really kind of odd. But, mm. but it's Yeah, I was I wondering about that. It it But this also, I'm guessing that probably the 1980s was probably the beginning of female guards in a male prison. I'm not sure how long, um, how usual that would have been up until that time. So it's not a star of David. I'm not exactly sure. What well, that it's is. a star. It's like a sheriff star or something. What? Like, what's the timestamp? I'm pasting He's the pasting picture. it. Oh, but the timestamp is nine thirteen. There's a bunch of dudes wearing shower caps in there too. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. You know, part of me was like, by the time the shower scene came up, I was like, oh. Gee, it's gritty because it's got. They're using, you know, they're using the f bomb, and they've got uh, a guy's naked butt, and um, oh, there's something else later on that's like, ooh, this makes it gritty. Mm. So, what kind of armband do you guys think he's wearing? It's in the Skype. Um, yeah. I don't know. It it's not it's not a Star of David. Yeah, the guy beside him is wearing the same one. I guess they're it's their logo for their doo-wop group or something. <laughs> yeah, that that whole thing was it's like okay. The, huh? What? I'm sorry. I just saw the star and oh. it is a star, of David. Is it? it? No, it's not. No, it doesn't. That's too many points, doesn't it? It's like a sheriff's star. It looks solid. Aren't stars of David usually not filled I'm in? I'm gonna Google. I'm gonna Google. Maybe it's awfully small in my thing. Let me see if I can make it bigger. Yeah, yeah. The Star of David has to has to be like uh, it's a it's a lines. It's made up of lines, right? And that looks filled in. Yeah. One of my notes is that one of these guards has really hairy arms, but I can't find the screen cap of it. <laughs> they must have been really hairy if I made made a note to made a note about it. I'm just saying, with all the bad in this, <laughs> notice these guys' hairy arms must have really. There must have been really something amazing. Well, it was like I just started watching it, so I don't think I had any notes. And I'm like, I better write down everything because I don't know if I'll have enough to talk about if I don't write everything. So I better write down the stupidest shit. So I wrote down why the shower curtains. And then I wrote political correctness. Oh, I like, yeah, I guess Harry did correct someone saying, don't say fag, say gay. I was like, that's really progressive, Harry. (laughs) Oh, I didn't, I missed that one. But then later on, he... He gets angry and he calls someone faggot. Really, I, I missed that too. Um, Maybe it was after hour one point eleven. <laughs> so 
So if you didn't know what White Oleander was, you wouldn't know what that plot about the prisoner in the tea. Puck I, ringing. I, fig- I figured it out through context. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I Mel, mean, uh, Mel didn't. But. Yeah. When he when he started talking about make a tea out of it, I'm thinking to myself, isn't oh is Oleander poisonous? Is that what's going on here? Because I I didn't quite remember, but. Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty obvious, especially when the guy said, you're talking about suicide. Or you're talking about dying. Oh, that was the other thing that made it gritty. Suicide. Right. Because they had this one guy that was in a cell. Well, you didn't get to the last episode on the tape, but it would have been uh, prison rape. There's some prison rape implied. Uh, didn't happen. Was about to happen. Uh-huh. The, uh, why was there only one guy in a cell? There wasn't. And- Oh, you mean the guy who was who was drinking the tea? Yeah. My, I don't know. I don't know how prison works, but I think it's strange that sometimes they're... I guess they all can't be out of their cells. That sometimes they have to be alone. Maybe he was... They'd probably go out in shifts. Of yeah, go out in shifts. Different uh, sections. Maybe his... Yeah, but, maybe yeah. he just didn't have a bunkmate. Or maybe his bunkmate was, I don't know, in medical or something. Or Well, it seemed like... Okay, there was solitary confinement um, that, what's his name, Harry was in supposedly for six months. And uh, there's all sorts of studies now on what solitary confinement does to you, but it didn't bother him. He was fine. He was fine. Um, yeah. Uh, he was always fine, unless, you know, somebody said, no, you're not going to get out right now. And I have just- to take hostages. Right, exactly. He goes totally off the deep end. Which he can do and, very easily because there's really no security in this in this prison. Yeah, none. He just gets the, gets the officer's gun super easily. He, I'm pretty sure guns are like uh, in a holster that's like needs to be unsnapped. He well, just, he just grabs it. He just grabs it so yeah. easily. Yeah, holsters, they have a specific thing. Um, I I used to go out with a New York City detective and you uh, there's a specific pressure and everything that you have to do to get a gun out of the holster it's not just it's not just sitting in there yeah but he grabs it so easily oh yeah oh yeah everything is done very easily they're walking around like they're on a college campus just going in and out of rooms I know and then when when uh, what when Gene Smart I don't remember her name but Gene Smart is uh Talking with him after the uh, after he's taken the hostages and he's gotten out of it, and she says, "Oh well, you've just got two more years on your." They added two years on your uh, sentence and six months in you know whatever the solitary. She doesn't call it solitary. I don't think six months in here, and then she starts flirting with him, and I'm like, "Really? You know, you've got this administrator, and she's going to be the sexual interest." In this, great. Very inappropriate. Yeah. I didn't think talk about undermining your authority. Sexual and interest? Then... I didn't. I didn't get sexual interest. No. I mean, I know no. he was saying, uh, "We'll you, we'll meet after I get out, and we'll have dinner, and you can like wear a dress." But I, I didn't feel like she was reciprocating. She bought a dress. <laughs> he said she bought a dress. She didn't have the dress, so she bought one. And they're going. You know, he's got to basically. You know, you could say, oh, well, she was just trying to buck him up and get him out of his depression because she's a psychologist. I, I thought That's she was play acting. Do that. No, no. I, I thought she was a bad psychiatrist 
play acting <laughs> and reinforcing his fantasies, thinking that he's never getting out. Oh, he's getting which would make him a, getting, which would make her a bad psychiatrist, but not necessarily a sex interest. She's got. He's only got four years. He's only got four years left. Four and a half, I guess, at that point, because I think he tells the girl four years after six months after he's out six months later. But um, yeah, he's only got like four years. That that's not all that long in real terms, especially if a guy oh, could okay. be obsessive or anything else. Plus, do you really want, you know, prisoners like, oh, hey, the w- associate warden is coming on to me. And, you know, that's, no, you don't. It's wacky. Yeah. It's super wack. So it's, I'm, I'm, it's ridiculous. I'm rewatching this scene now before he takes the hostages, and he doesn't grab the gun. What happens is the cop uh, or guard takes his gun out, holds it against Harry's like torso, and has his arm around Harry's neck. The other guard beats Harry or punches him like twice, causing mm-hmm. the guard with holding the gun just to drop the gun on the ground. He just lets go of the gun. <laughs> oh, well, of course. That makes so much more sense. Oh, they're pretty incompetent in this. Uh... Oh, yeah. Oh, and just to get rid of the whole Gene Smart thing, character, and not the actress, it's just the character. Um, when she meets that kid, the 24-year-old or whoever, the one in the denim vest with no shirt, mm-hmm. um, and... She's just almost tearing up over the poor child and what he's going to go through and all of that, which, yeah, the kid is going to go through hell and and it's awful. But it's like this woman would not last three seconds in a tough high school as a guidance counselor. I mean, you know, it's like, really, this woman is a warden. Um, Somehow she gets a promotion between the first episode and then the next one. Um. Yeah. I, I just I can't believe that she's in in his in Harry's cell with him. After he's taken hostages, she gets in his cell with yeah. him to talk. Yeah. I don't. And they keep bringing prisoners into her office and just leaving them in her in there, you know, with no guard to, you know, stand there and make sure that she isn't assaulted. Yeah. I mean, Harry, the very first thing we see Harry do is pick her up and he won't put her down and and all of this. It's like. Are you and they're just me? like, yeah, and they're just like, hey, hey, you put her down. They should be like tackling him and putting, yeah. restraining him. Yeah, and handcuffing him to the chair. <sighs> it's it's like a bad high school drama. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the largest hydroelectric dam is no longer in Brazil. <laughs> it's the second largest. <laughs> in two thousand eight, um, the Three Gorges Dam in China became the largest. Of, of course, it's- of the top eight largest dams, four are in China. When we went to China, we were shown one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we were we were shown a dam, and they talked about how Chinese had actually built it themselves. They were very proud of the fact that they did not have any foreign advisors helping them engineer or build this dam. So Chinese are very proud of their dams. So the second episode, which. I don't know if you guys watched that one or not. Um, let's see. Harry is uh, – he's still allowed to roam free in the prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of my notes is I think I'd rather go to prison than a high school reunion. I'm not sure why I wrote that down. Um, <laughs> Puck has a prison pen pal. She sends him photos of Cher and Puck wants to send her photos of Harry. <laughs> yeah. 
How does she think sending photos of Cher is going to get by anyone? No, I think they they know that. Uh, oh, this episode, by the way, is called. Let me find where it's called. I closed my tabs, and then I wish I had left them open. Maximum security age. Uh, sexual politics. That's what it's got to be. It's got to be that one, right? Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. And it's like a prison pen pal thing. Uh, Puck is sending uh, Polaroids to some woman. Or is that the next one? Well, I saw the pen pal. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the last one where she she meets the lady and she's a little bit heavy. No, this is the one where Harry's uh, ex-like high school friend... Who always, High school crush. Yeah, she she shows up in in prison and they like flirt and there is a there's like kissing and stuff going on in like the meeting room, you know, like where the family members come, which yeah, is even, very different than a lot of shows where they're like they're not allowed to touch. Yeah, even in Orange is the New Black, which is like also minimum security, they're like if anybody tries that in that show, they're like no touching. Right. Yeah. But this one kissing, you can go to the bathroom. To have to fuck in the bathroom. <laughs> um, well, that wasn't what they were doing. Whatever happened to the guy that got dressed up in his girlfriend's clothes and, and okay, uh, okay, <laughs> this is a, this now this was amazing, where the the prisoner puts on his girlfriend's clothes and then walks out of the prison. <laughs> yeah, and it's like somebody <laughs> mentions somebody mentioned it, like oh, you know, gee, I should have done that or whatever. He didn't say that, but he mentioned in passing. You know, what happened with this guy? And I'm like, okay, how long did it take him to... Well, in that prison, yeah. they may never have noticed that he was gone. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Although... And how the, did the girlfriend the get out? guard to jazz sax music, very indicative of, you know, I thought we were back in Philip Marlowe and the bombshell had just walked through the door. Oh, 80 sax... Um, that's, that's one of my notes. 80 saxophone at 41 minutes and five seconds? That's going in the podcast. I noticed that too. And it was like, she walked, you know, she's doing the bed check and, uh, and they've got this, you know, jazz sax music behind her. Like, you know, here comes the bomb, you know, as I said, I thought I was back in Philip Marlowe. But okay. So he puts on his girlfriend's clothes to get out of the prison, dressed as a woman, dressed as her. How does she get out of the prison now that she has no clothes on? Well, I guess she could put on his clothes. Did she have zero clothes on? And aren't they going to wonder why a prisoner, a female prisoner, why they have, all of a sudden they have a female prisoner? Aren't they going to well, figure out have, that they swapped clothes? Well, the uniforms aren't very uniform-like. So, I mean, I don't remember what he was wearing because I wasn't really expecting that. Oh, yeah. But he could have been wearing almost anything. You know, it seemed like they were in jeans and a blue shirt when they were in something like a uniform. So if she was put on his jeans and, you know, tied the shirt, like under her boobs or something all of a sudden she's in a midriff and a you know whatever she could she can take off the sleeves make it a, a tank top or you know it's it's knows. just amazing that they're allowed to go into a private room together well they weren't supposed to, to they they snuck in well because sh- it was there's no guard like <sighs> exactly the whole thing is weird, but it did remind me of that Seinfeld episode where George dated a female prisoner because he she could only see him 
on his terms. He was she was never gonna pop by, so he got to control the entire relationship by just going whenever to to prison whenever uh, whenever he wanted to, and he thought it was really hot the conjugal sex. But then she breaks out of prison and is like, oh, <laughs> now she popped in. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, but I also thought it was interesting how easily Harry is just swayed um by frank we haven't talked at all about frank that's his um cellmate yeah who where reads, have i seen that guy who reads the everywhere. almanac everywhere he mm. apparently he just died last year oh really yeah oh but, he missed this podcast yeah he, interestingly enough i was going through the imdb a little while ago um like when we were switching from one to the other because i was curious where i'd seen him because i had a note um when he showed up, I said, Frank is in everything. And he was in Flow as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> he was a recurring character in Flow. He was been a recurring character in, and he's been a guest in almost every television show since the 70s. I mean, it would be great if we like met Gene Smart and we're like, oh, I loved you on uh, Maximum Security. You were great <laughs> as Dr. Brody. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You saw that? No one's seen that. She's, I mean, she's doing a perfectly fine job of acting. It's just a ridiculous character. And uh, it's I had, I had a problem with her acting in the, the last episode on the tape. Oh, I didn't see uh, that one. Yeah, she, she overacts. Um, well, let's, let's move on to uh, episode three, which is called I Never Ran For My Father Part One. <laughs> uh, Prison Olympics. <laughs> so... When oh, we, yeah, it's a part of this. So when we watched the first and the last, like, what was in between that? Well, like, that's, what we're, that's what we're talking about okay, now. Yeah, it's, it's Prison Olympics. Well, we, so you one episode? There's three episodes in total? Uh, in total, there were four. Four, okay. Did you, did you see the one with the that we were just talking about with the uh, pen pal and the, the girl from his high school? No, and I saw the pen pal with the, the Puck's pen pal. We saw that. I saw... You watch that part. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Carol watched one and two, and you guys watched one and four, and I watched one yeah. through four. So, I don't, honestly, I don't know where the episodes began or ended. That's a thing. Well, I gave you the timestamps in the group. <laughs> <laughs> then I have to go back and forth and back and forth. Or oh write boy, them down Carol, too complicated. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mean, I thought that there would be some kind of break. You know, like, right? I thought so too. And and it was and I kind of just wrote down. I ended up like color coding my notes to keep the episodes apart, but I was sort of like, I have a feeling that the line about the almanac was the last line of the pilot and it ends there because now we're back to the showers and it felt like a different episode at that point. And then in the end of the second one, Harry gives his Polaroid to Puck saying, you could send pictures of me to your, your girlfriend. And I feel like okay, that's that the end of that one. And that then it sense. starts with Prison Olympics. Which I also saw. We meet Kyle Hutton, who does not believe in shirts. He just wants denim vests. He also tells us he looks 18. He does not look 18 to me. How old are you? Why, do we get assigned by age group? 24. You look 18. So, that's not your problem, is it? I can take care of myself. Kyle, it's three o'clock. Those are guards on the pistol range. 
Can we cut the attitude now? My friends told me I had to act tough to make it in here. No doubt the same friends who talked you into armed robbery as a summer job. What do I have to do next? Who you live with and where you live are very important. That I can do something about. What you can do is come to me anytime you have a problem, anything at all. I'll let you know when I make your assignment. And this is the one where Jean Smart was just like, um, oh, you poor, poor boy, and, and was like ready to cry as he walked out the door. And I'm, I was just like, these people would eat you alive. Forget prison. A high school, these kids would eat you alive. So she takes Kyle to Papa Jack and says, watch out for this new fish. Uh, then Kyle nearly gets raped in the boiler room. That I didn't uh-huh. see. The yeah, that was, room that, is, was, that was pretty heavy. Was it the boiler room or the kitchen? Uh, the next one's the kitchen. This is the oh, first one. Twice. <laughs> uh, yeah. The guy's like, hey, want some drugs? And Kyle's like, yeah, I want drugs. He's like, well, come to this private place. And then Papa Jack rescues him from that one. Okay, so um, we didn't... Who's Papa Jack? Papa Jack is the black guy that is Kyle's cellmate, who's a very recognizable actor, and I don't know, remember his name, but he's been in a lot of stuff, too. Oh, I guess I didn't... I didn't see him because I didn't get far enough to see um, Kyle actually get a cellmate. I felt like these last two episodes were the strongest ones, though that's a very low bar. (laughs) (laughs) I would say so. Uh, The actor's name is Stan Shaw. Uh, He might be Papa Doc. I don't know why I put Papa Jack. I don't think it matters. Papa John's. I don't know. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Uh, Frank's backstory... um, he says that I was eight years old and I came home and found my dad's brain splattered on the walls. And I wrote, okay, drama queen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, he, Harry, Harry's father is dying, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't like want to go. He doesn't have a good relationship with his dad, but then he finds yeah. out that his dad dies. And so he cries and hugs another man. And I was like, you're in prison in public, Harry, like crying and hugging other men is not, it's not going to be good for your prison rep. Mm. You know, it's a kinder, gentler prison. Oh, it it <laughs> sure is. <laughs> uh, so that was that episode. Uh, the last one on the tape, which is part two of I Called I Never Ran From My Father. Puck, Puck has a girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, but she pretends to be Francine, and he pretends to be Harry, and they're very awkward and shy, but then they reveal who they really are, and they they have a really great relationship. But then the the other prisoners tease him because she's so fat. That Puck. was that that was kind of a cliched and predictable storyline. But like how, how they weren't how they, they were, were expecting how that no how they were going to get to him through peer pressure and he was going to say something stupid. Oh yeah. Which I mean, they'd already had kind of had that with uh, in a different way with Harry in that other episode with the girl from high school because. You know, he was all happy and everything else, and and Frank, you know, said three things to him, and all of a sudden he was like, okay, I've got to get rid of her. Well, that's why I thought those two were the same episode, because it's so similar in Prison Pen Pal thing. 
And then I was wondering, and I'll have to look this up later, are there any successful relationships, marriages that began in the prison pen pal situation? Oh, I'd like to see some stats on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to see stats too. So they call um, yeah, well. they call Lucy Mount St. Lucy. They say she'll, he'll need an extra ticket to bring her to the Olympics because she's like two people. Uh-huh. Uh, she's not that heavy. I mean, she seems just like she's like one of those really like tall girls that is like, you know... She's yeah, she's, she's a big like, woman. Well, she's big, yeah, but I mean, not I don't know, but I don't know, like you know, you know what bullies are like. <laughs> They're cruel. Uh, Kids I... can be so cruel. We can? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh the Prison Olympics uh the announcer was funny. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the first annual Riverdale Correctional Facility Track Meet. We have a full day of events that gives Riverdale's A-block inmates against B-block and should be very exciting. Participants earn good time credit, and the block that scores the most total points wins a stereo. Please turn your attention to the finishing line for our first event, the very challenging 5K race. Runners, please take your marks. It's inmates from A block versus inmates from B block. It promises to be very exciting. The inmate who scores the most points wins a stereo. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, while this is all happening, uh, Kyle is nearly raped in the kitchen. I thought Kyle looked like George McFly. <laughs> or acted like him, at least. Oh, and I also wondered how Puck won that race with his stubby legs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and this was another thing, kind of similar to the Dixon Hill thing, where not Dixon Hill, <laughs> sorry, the uh, yeah. Philip Philip Marlowe thing, um, where uh, Philip Marlowe turned around when the gun was pointed at him, like really slow, and that like he would have been shot if it was real life. In this one, Kyle has a knife to his throat, and he turns around and attacks the guy. Like when the like even just doing that, it felt like the knife should have slashed his throat. But nope these these nope. characters, both shows are. Able to easily escape these deadly situations. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, so Kyle bashes his attacker's head in and ends up going into like a solitary, like a solitary cell. Uh, and Gene Smart is like so sad because uh, this innocent young youth who was persuaded by his friends to commit like armed robbery or something has now nearly been raped and is uh, a murderer. Mm. Made it made a murderer by his two day stay in prison. <laughs> so this is when she kind of overacts. She's she's walking down a dark dark hallway unescorted, talking to Papa Doc. Yeah, yeah. Then- she wanders into everybody's cell and goes through. Oh, I I loved how when she was walking at one point through in a different episode because I didn't see this one through there. Nobody was saying anything to her. It was a quiet. Everything was quiet in the cell block and. Very well-behaved prisoners. Yeah, it's like prison camp. Yeah. It's like where you would send your kids if they're <laughs> unruly. Like, you send them to prison camp. The, Juvie. Yeah. There, there are boundaries, more boundaries in, than the regular camp, but they're not actual prisoners. Because they can just kind of, still kind of go everywhere they want. Um and then when it ended, the weird, the weird end credit image of Harry smiling upward with someone that had his hand on his head. That was strange. <laughs> yeah. How long did this show last? Um, it was just seven episodes. 
Hmm. So less than a year. So um, if we had seen all four of them, we would have seen more than half of the episodes. Correct. Uh, I'm putting the picture in Skype. This is this is the end credit image of, of like what? What's happening? He's uh he's receiving the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> At least the last episode, there was a little bit of character development with Harry going to his father's funeral. Yeah, uh, the warden uh, Gene Smart allows him to go to his father's funeral. What? Yeah. Now. I, this has happened uh, in Orange is the New Black as well, where characters have gotten furloughs basically to go yeah. to a to like the the bedside of a dying family member, the funeral of a family member. But Harry tried to escape and take hostages. Yeah, and it's a and the show. What's the name of the show? Maximum Security. Security. Yes, <laughs> should be renamed very very little to no no maximum no security. Yeah, it's yeah. like. Maybe it just it's because everyone's feelings are on maximum security <laughs> while they're in the prison. They're all guarded. Oh, maximum their feelings are it's a maximum. Metaphor. They aren't. They aren't at all. It doesn't work that way either. <laughs> so yeah, he gets to go to his father's funeral. Um but at least that part about you know new prisoner Kyle being nearly raped and having to kill somebody and then go into prison or go into solitary, um, and sort of like this is the effect that prison can have on a person, albeit at a very accelerated rate. That kind of rings true. You hear about it all the yeah, time: yeah. nonviolent offenders going to jail, coming out worse than when they went in. Like that's that feels true. And actually, there are various stories of of things like that happening within the first week that somebody is in is in prison. Yeah, he wasn't a criminal when he went out when he went in but he he was when he came out, you know, that kind of thing. So no. I, that's why I think that the at least the fourth episode was a little stronger in that regard because it actually did something that felt true. Was um, he still wearing his denim vest and no shirt underneath at that point? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Oh, good grief. <laughs> Some idiot would probably say he was asking for it. Yeah, this is when Jean Smart gives her not very good performance, when she's talking with uh, Papa Doc. Just her body posture is weird. She's grabbing onto the bars behind her. Yeah. Um, let's go to <clears throat> Harold's feedback. He says, uh, I'd say that Maximum Security did a better job as a pilot than Marlowe, and that is because it had characters that were interesting and worth coming back for. It worked best when you were surprised to see a character break out of a stereotype and express a complexity or nuance that I wasn't expecting, and that kept happening as I watched it. I liked that the prison employees and the prisoners were not all cut from the same cloth. You could see that they had their own points of view. I want to mention Bill Duke, who, according to Wikipedia, was the director of the first episode. He is an actor and director who made two of my favorite films of the early 90s, A Rage in Harlem and Deep Cover. If you haven't seen, I strongly recommend Deep Cover, starring Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, Claire. I guess this was one of his first directing jobs. Maximum Security reminded me a little of Hill Street Blues pilot, which I watched a couple of years ago when the Firewall and Iceberg podcast were doing their own pilot series. Oh, I missed that podcast. If you go and watch that, you can easily see how this was in the same vein. And that's where his feedback for that stops. Um. I remember Hill Street Blues really well. I would be curious to watch the pilot now, all these years later. Um... As I recall, Hill Street Blues, 
<laughs> was a whole lot better than this. Um, uh, I like the character of Puck, the guy who gets the things that everyone needs. Mm-hmm. And is what kind of like... Um, he did have a cap of some sort, didn't he? Yeah, it was a weird cap. I thought it was like a maybe just like a paper cap that kitchen workers are wearing or something. I don't know. If it was paper, it was made out of brown paper, which mm. is kind of weird. It, it it was it, very strange. It looked like he made his own hat out of a paper bag. Mm, that mm-hmm. could be. Um, I I thought maybe it was cloth, but it could have been paper. Sure. Uh, anyway, I, I liked him, and I liked Papa Doc. That actor is really good. He's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he has been. Uh, I didn't see him, though, in this. I looked him up. Uh, did we ever find out what happened to, I mean, the guy who drank the... No, no follow-up on Mr. White Oleander. So we don't know whether he actually died or just got really sick or... I'm going to assume, or... uh, I would like to assume for the purposes of the plot that he did die, otherwise it was a waste of time. We don't see yeah. him anymore, do we? Yeah, we don't see him anymore. So, and I was like, I was like, before you die, give the cup back. Good, good God. He's, you're going to get Puck in trouble. <laughs> mm, good point. Good point. Well, he had a whole plant in there, too. He got from someone. They'd wonder how he got that plant in there. From uh, He got it from Tuck as well. Right. So they have to give the plant back. Wouldn't necessarily know the timeline of when Puck gave him those things. Also, they don't yeah. care at this prison. <laughs> no, they don't. They may not even notice he dies. <laughs> right. Not for a while, anyway. Every. Every year, the prison as a, the, for a special day, the prisoners and the and the guards swap places. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, prison swap day. Yeah, job swap. Yeah, it's the first Saturday what? of every September is prison swap day. With a, it's like, what are you doing? It's a stupid prison. Um, you could also have a bring your child to prison day. You know, where you follow around the guards' kids, follow around them, and the prisoners' kids follow around them. Yeah. Oh. This was a terrible show. Okay. <laughs> um, well, before we sign off, uh, there's a very lengthy review, but I, I want I want someone to read it because they have a different take than we do. But they're also not judging it by today's standards. So I'll read it. Maybe. Well, we'll see. Do you think I'll be able to get through it without? Uh, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Sometimes I've got self control. Uh, a little of the big house over HBO, February 27th, 1985, Howard Rosenberg. American TV has never been big on the big house. Too grim. A syndicated series on life inside a women's prison made the rounds of stations a few years ago, but it was Australian. The only American-made behind bars series in recent years was On the Rocks, a comedy on ABC during the 1975-76 season. The world has never seen a cheerier group of convicts. In fact, On the Rocks made prison seem so cozy and fun that the National Association of Justice asked ABC to cancel the series because of the distorted portrayal. On the Rocks ultimately disappeared because of low ratings. With that bit of TV history in mind, maximum security has to be considered remarkable. Not that it's that great, it isn't. What's remarkable that it is that it's on the small screen at all, and that most of its characters are less criminal stereotypes than complex personality studies. There's good reason that maximum security is not maximum stupidity. Okay, we should stop right here. (laughs) Okay. Hey, Um, I was going to just keep going. (laughs) Only because I like the idea that um, 
on the rocks made prison seem cozy and fun, and this is somehow not doing the exact yeah. same thing. <laughs> like, I I do remember there being a series called On the Rocks. I don't remember anything about it. Um, I guess you could yeah. say that these characters were not necessarily stereotypes. Some of them very much were, and some of them were not necessarily. I thought it. I noticed right away that it was the black black prisoners who were dancing and singing, <laughs> and the um, and the uh, the white guys were were. Uh, Oh well, that's a stereotype. Yeah, the weights. white the white power gang thing. Yeah, and then there was the white power gang, but um, Harry was a good guy because the black guys liked him, so mm-hmm. he was being protected by the black guys. That was a little bit of a change in the way it would be now. The white power guys would be the good guys. Anyway, um, so yeah, I I don't know. I did not find them to be complex personality studies, but I guess they were trying. Um, Howard Rosenberg goes on to say. Okay. (laughs) It's not on traditional TV at all. It premieres Tuesday at 2 p.m. 10 p.m. Sorry. It premieres Tuesday at 10 p.m. on cable delivered home box office. And it is the pay TV services first original dramatic series. Well, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Well, you would. I was. Yeah. Philip Marlowe. Philip Marlowe wasn't very dramatic, guys. Uh, (laughs) It was camp. The executive producers are Tony Gantz and Ron Howard, who was Richie in Happy Days. HBO is becoming increasingly interesting and attractive as a source of original programming. Whether it's the joyously funny, not necessarily the news, documentaries, and occasionally, not necessarily the news, documentaries, and occasional good feature films such as Finnegan Begin Again, or Maximum Security, a series far too bold and unconventional for the networks. Filmed primarily in the abandoned Lincoln Heights Jail near downtown Los Angeles, the half-hour Maximum Security is an appealing alternative to most of humdrum TV. That's because of its subject, because of its essential grayness, and because of its central characters, though generally sympathetic, are heroically unheroic. Harry Kenschneider, Robert Desidero, is a source of sicky Hawkeye Pierce, is a sort of sicky Hawkeye Pierce, wisecracking to mask his inner turmoil, and his cellmate, Frank Murphy, Jeffrey Lewis, is behind bars for beating his wife and murdering her lover. Puck, Trinidad Silva, is, well, puckish, and Papa Jack, Stan Shaw, is a humorless tough guy who wants to be left alone. Weaving in and out of their lives is Allison Brody, Gene Smart, the prince prison psychologist who is about to be promoted deputy warden. The performances are good, the writing and production uneven. It remains for others who have been inside prison to determine the authenticity of maximum security. However, no one will ever accuse maximum security of being on the rocks and turning prison into a summer camp. The series does not shrink (laughs) from tough subjects one associates with prisons, such as murder, Drugs, homosexuality, alienation. I want you to remember that sentence here in this review where it says no one will accuse maximum security of turning prison into summer camp. I mean, beside, I also, beside the fact that we already have done that. Uh, yeah. I'll, well, we'll come back to that. <laughs> I also want to come back to comparing him to Hawkeye Pierce. Um, 
no one will ever accuse maximum security of being consistently good drama either hey we can agree with that on the premiere frank spends 42 hours alone with his wife bonnie in a trailer the prison has set up for conjugal visits like all the half hours the story is too compressed the character character shifts too abrupt and harry determined to be the prison card reminds you of the life the part of the party who thinks it's funny to wear a lampshade on his head ugh <laughs> a future two-part episode which attempts to juxtapose a prison track meet with harry's alienation from his ailing father is classically manipulative and maudlin yet the second episode of maximum security airing march 19th and showing harry's self-destructive trauma after the murder of a popular prison doctor by another inmate is fascinating tv and so is another brutal highly suspenseful episode in which the inmates allow a murder to occur in the nearby cell and neither one uh on the tape so good right. job good job releasing uh the episodes that were not as good as those two that he just mentioned <laughs> frank <laughs> articulates the prison survival code you don't have feelings in here you leave them outside in a box you pick him up later on traditional TV. And so does the graphic violence, which, although never gratuitous, also would not be tolerated by the networks. A band of tension runs through maximum security, a feeling that things could explode at any moment in this confined, unnatural, volatile environment. That rings true. And so does the uncompromisingly coarse language that would never be allowed. Yeah, I don't know. The, the text here got weird. Yeah, allow original programming. Oh, original. Allow uh, probably un original programming. Worth watching. I think something got cut out there. Yeah, something got other weird. Elements, other elements of the story don't ring true, though. And one of them is Gene Smart as the bleeding heart Allison Brody. Can you imagine in any real world a sexy, sultry, amply endowed woman wa working in a prison where male inmates are so starved for sex that they have sex with each other? Can you imagine her walking among convicts, many of them seeming to be near animals, without causing havoc or drawing even one off-color remark? Nope. Can you imagine a prison where inmates, Harry and his friends, continually fret about each other's emotional health? Nope. And can you imagine so many inmates with hearts of gold beneath tough, sometimes murderous exteriors? Nope. Probably not. And that is why maximum security, for all its good intentions, often seems like minimum reality. But it's a good try, and like most of HBO's original programming, worth watching. Uh, there was another review, this one by John J. O'Connor, and he wrote, Admittedly, portraying convicted criminals as heroes is a tricky business, but the solution in maximum security is decidedly awkward. This particular prison looks like a summer camp for unruly but basically <laughs> likable city kids. Past crimes are rarely, if ever, mentioned. It seems that high-spirited Harry doesn't really belong there. His only transgression was to borrow a car that turned out to be stolen government property. Well, crashed it into a library. Just for that, prosecutors got him on, got him for everything. Harry giggles winningly, except for talking in class. This month, Maximum Security goes into production for a series that will start in the fall. Oh yes, one scene in the pilot takes place in a shower room and has some partial nudity. Adult entertainment inches forever forward. <laughs> partial nudity. Scandalous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, when, uh, well, what was it? NYPD Blue did, uh, started having butt shots. Um, it was, you know, it had to be advertised first. You know, don't watch this episode if you're going to get 
really upset over that. You know, I used to be so proud of myself because I was helping people here. Well, I'm sick to death of everything that took that boy, that child in there who made one mistake and turned him into a killer in two days. Well, we're going uh, longer than I expected. So does anyone have any just final thoughts about this one before we rate it? Nope. Uh, I got it all out. Um, I think we've said it all. Would you watch another episode? <laughs> no. No. Nope. I feel like no. I've seen all of them. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I wouldn't watch another episode if I didn't have to. And I never mentioned about Philip Marlowe. I wouldn't watch the Philip Marlowe either. I mean, I, if, if, if I had a friend who just loved that kind of thing and was like, oh, I really want to see more of this show. I wouldn't like not sit down and watch it with them. But no. this one, I would really try and tell them, really, I don't care how much you love prison shows. This really don't make me watch it with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol, why don't you rate it? Uh, you know, I was going to give it a higher rating than I'm ready to now because the more we talked about it, the more it went down. Um, I'm going to go with a three out of ten. um laughing, dancing anywhere they want prisoners in a maximum security prison. Okay. Matt and Mel? Um, I agree. It was pretty bad. Wasn't too much entertainment to be had. I did like Puck uh, mm. and him and his friend that he let die there. And his. I did like his storyline with the pen pal until it became predictable. Um, I hated the main character. <laughs> uh, yep. I'll give it four out of ten. Lacks secu- lacks security facilities. Um. Oh, Mel. Yeah, two out of ten. Uh, inappropriate swearing. <laughs> mm. Inappropriate nudity. <laughs> just it's just inappropriate, guys. Guys, just dial it back. Yeah, I like. I want to see. I want to see less man butts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's uh, offensive to my eyes, okay? Okay. They all had those. Sorry, I'll put my pants back on. <laughs> well, they had, once they pulled out and were in danger of showing any other parts, they put those nice little white towels around them. Yes. <laughs> those nifty towels. Yes. So convenient. Mm hmm. Uh, I think I liked it more than you guys. Um, some of the performances were good and. Uh, it was very unrealistic, but kind of also goofy in a way that made me enjoy it. So I'm going to give it a 5.5 out of 10 uh, RC Cola vending machines. <laughs> was there some? I didn't notice. Uh, there was one in episode two that she didn't watch when they were in the in like the room where the family members and visitors, the visiting room, I guess. Yeah, there was yeah. an RC Cola vending machine. Anyway, and it's just maybe really one in RC Cola. <laughs> why would you want an rc cola i don't know yeah. it was like a 90s thing i was just in this waves of nostalgia that's all i believe it stands for royal royal, royal crown no royal yeah. crown is royal crown crown royal crown royal is whiskey you don't know what you're talking Never about mind. <laughs> yeah. matt if you had to pick between clearly canadian and rc cola oh, clearly canadian you- hands down <laughs> We have, we found a uh, clearly Canadian knockoff brand in the store the other day called Can- uh, Pure Canadian. Can- yeah, pure, Canadian Pure. Something like that. It tasted pretty much the same. Yeah, it was like a black cherry flavor. <laughs> well, if it's if it's something other than colas, it's you know I'll go with other brands, but colas 
I have not tasted any cola that that worked for me other than like Coke or Pepsi. Mm. So you want to go into a bar, into a bar and say, bartender, I want a CRRC CCR, you know, a, a Crown Royal with Royal Crown. <laughs> <laughs> While you play Clearance Clear Rotter Revival. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a drink. I just invented it. <laughs> I'm gonna try that. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, of the two, everyone preferred Philip Marlowe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. By a long shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I preferred it, but only by a little bit. I think. So anyway, those were the the first two. Next time we'll be discussing. I can never remember to keep my tabs open. Tales from the Crypt from 1989. Yay. And- Yay, and Life Stories, Families in Crisis from 1992. Hmm. Hmm. And because these are both like 30-minute ones, uh, it would be great if you could watch uh, two episodes from each. Because I think they're under – they're more like 22 minutes. So to get a good sense of each. So uh, we'll watch the pilot for Tales from the Crypt, which is called The Man Who – The Man Who Was Death. That's the very first one. And then I'll give you a choice of which uh, which additional one you want to watch. I've got three descriptions here. I'm going to read them to you. Um, and I picked out these three because they all have former Deadwood actors in them. Oh. Uh, first one is called Forever Ambergris. A jaded, has-been photographer plots the demise of his younger, talented protege when they go on assignment in Central America. And that one features a guest appearance by Titus Welliver, hmm. who was Silas Adams on Deadwood. Uh, the main name in that one is Steve Buscemi. Oh. I love him. The next one is called People Who Live in Brass Hearses. <laughs> and that one is a hot-tempered convict Billy DeLuca gets out of prison after serving a two-year sentence. Billy convinces his mentally challenged brother Virgil to help him rob a warehouse as a means of getting revenge on kindly ice cream vendor Mr. Bird, who's responsible for sending Billy to jail. However, the plan goes seriously awry. And uh, the Deadwood actor in that one is Brad Dourif, playing Virgil. Oh, I love him too. Uh, Bill Paxton plays the brother. Oh. Which one was uh, Brad Dourif? The doctor. Doc Cochran. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, Then the third choice is Creep Course... Uh, Stella Bishop is a full-blown geek taking a course on Egyptian mythology led by pompous Professor Finley, who also happens to be a collector of Egyptian antiquity and one undead horny mummy. (laughs) Little does Stella know that she's intended to be the target sacrifice for his undead living collectible and is soon wooed by the charismatic Reggie, who has his own sinister plans. In the end, who will be the one to survive this creep course? Uh, the Deadwood. Act- like we got <laughs> oh, okay. I uh, say the Deadwood actor in that is Jeffrey Jones, mm-hmm. plays uh, A. W. Merrick on Deadwood. Also features Anthony Michael Hall and Julius Carey. Hmm. Ooh, Julius, mm, Carey. Julius Carey. We have to do that one. It sounds the sexiest. Who's <laughs> <laughs> Julius Carey? From Adventures. Uh, uh, what was it called? Briscoe County Junior. Is it called The Adventures yeah. of Briscoe County Junior? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. At first, I was gonna say we should do the first one, Forever Hamburgers or whatever. But. <laughs> oh, Forever Hamburgers! We should do all of them. <laughs> but yeah, let's do that last one with the horny mummy. <laughs> I, I think it has the most entertaining description. It does. Mm-hmm. Are we all agreed then? 
Yeah, sure. Here, okay. Whatever you guys want to do is fine with me. All right, so we'll be watching The Man Who Was Death, and we'll, we will be watching Creep Course. And then, no and then for uh, Life Stories, Families in Crisis, uh, the first one is The Secret Life of Mary Margaret, Portrait of a Bulimic. And that yeah. one stars Callista Flockhart. Oh, jeez. Oh, and, and then we'll be watching A Body to Die For, the Aaron Henry story uh, featuring Ben Affleck. So, so is this all like body image? Like, yeah, it's this oh life stories, families in crisis was like um, a very special episode kind of thing um, for like kids to like. What do you do when your brother kills himself? What do you do when you have an eating disorder? Mm. So it's like, a, uh, yeah, one of those educational, yeah, yeah, like the afternoon special mm-hmm. yeah. on the network used to have the afternoon special where they would have these kinds of things for when kids came home from school. And- right. Ten year, one's about a 10-year-old boy who accidentally kills himself with a gun. Um, a young vo- woman's a victim of date rape. Do teen- those work? What? Do these... Do those what? work? Do those, like, do you guys know, like, if studies have shown that uh, watching educational uh, shorts like this works? Um, well, one thing I can say about them... We now have in our vocabulary words like bulimia and anorexia, and mm. which we didn't before. Yeah, I, I think so. But they can also become like um, comedies. Like remember in Saved by the Bell when Jesse took the caffeine pills? the caffeine pills and she became like really unhinged. Like that's just a joke now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all in the execution. It's all in the execution. So. I mean, when the ones that were meant to, like, scare kids into something, you know, they never worked and they were always eye-rolly. But, um, I mean, some of them that actually give decent information, um, especially about stuff that people aren't all that aware of. Oh, too bad we're not going to watch More Than Friends, the coming out of Heidi Leitner. A, les- a teenage lesbian couple wants to attend the prom but must deal with their community's reactions with... Uh... Sabrina Lloyd and Claire Danes. Hmm. Well, too late. I'm ready. Claire Danes. Yeah, Claire Danes. She, who is she again? Who's Claire Danes? Oh, oh, never mind. I'm thinking of someone else. I'm thinking of somebody who played a character named Claire. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I was like, she's always playing a lesbian. And then I was like, oh, wrong. (laughs) Anyway, that's next time. Should be fun. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling we're going to enjoy those far more than these. Hooray. I hope so. But when did you say they came out compared to the first two we watched? 1989. Uh, yeah, five years between Maximum Security and Tales from the Crypt. Hmm. Yeah. Tales from the Crypt ran for seven seasons, 93 episodes. So that's actually probably it's the network's first big hit. Not Oz. Two, two movies? But that was an anthology show. So Tales from the Crypt I actually heard of, which so far it's the first one that I've heard of. I never watched any because I don't like horror, so... I doubt these are going to be horror. <laughs> I don't think these are going to be very scary. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, you know, it's no big deal now. The uh, the director of the pilot of Tales from the Crypt is Walter Hill, who did the pilot for Deadwood. So there's another little connection there. Anyway, that's next time. Um, anyone want to plug or promote anything before we go? Uh, Twin Peaks podcast. We just put out a new episode reviewing the book. Spoilers, cool. don't, spoilers don't read it. Uh, <laughs> but you can listen to us talk about it. I did. Without reading it. <laughs> and was it enjoyable even though you didn't read it? 
Uh, it kind of like some of the stuff you were talking about sounded interesting. Um, okay. Maybe you should why. give it a chance. Um, but uh, I, I'm kind of glad it doesn't sound like it's necessary reading material. So, well, we don't know. We don't know if it's going to tie into the story of season three. It might. I'll wait. I'll wait till after season three, and then if uh, if it feels like that was necessary or really enhanced, like having the two of them, the book and the season, they elevated both. If you had read and watched both, then maybe I will pick mm. up the book. Yeah. Could just be a nice little uh, collectible item, like a thing to have on your shelf. Oh, it looks very nice. It's like the the uh, worksmanship or whatever you want to call it for the actual physical book is great. Like it, it looks nice, and you you want to crack it open, but then you start reading reading it, and you're like, ugh, <laughs> boring. No, really? Oh, that's yeah. too bad. Um. Yep. I'm still doing Spartacast with Will. Cool. I just I just saw a a list of um, actors who died during their shows, and I had no idea that the first season the actor who played Spartacus dies. Yeah, yeah. 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 He um he had cancer. Um, mm. they his his name was Andy Whitfield. After the first season, he went. He had to have some treatments, and that's when they did a prequel series just to give him time to like do his treatments and recover. They were hoping mm. he would come back. So they did that little prequel just to kind of keep the show going. Yeah. And then he died and they recast for the final two seasons. That sucks. Yeah. yeah. I remember when that was happening, my son really, he got on board with uh, Spartacus right when it first started. And, um, and it was just, you know, hearing about this actor, I was like, I'm sorry, honey, this is what's going on. Yeah. Really, uh, really nailing the role, too. Really good in the show. Yeah. But uh, when the new Spartacus starts, I won't, um, I won't hold that. I won't, like, I'll compare the two, but I'm not going to say, oh, I'm not going to immediately dislike the new actor, Liam McIntyre, because I like the other one so much. Like, I'm not going to hold it against him. I'll, I will yeah. give him a fair shot. Mm-hmm. It's a really hard thing to do. I mean, I remember some other actors who've had to follow other actors who died during, you know, performances. It's really tough. And I'm okay if the performance doesn't match the other. The other, like if 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 this is a new interpretation of the character and it's just a little, he's playing it a little strangely, differently. That's fine. At this point, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of the show, but I I do enjoy watching it. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that's it then. Send, okay. uh, send us uh, feedback for those uh, Tales from the Crypt and Life Stories episodes that we're going to watch. I will post links or something to them on the Facebook group. I know that the life, I mean, the life stories, I just grabbed them off the internet. So they were, I found them on Daily Motion was the website I found them on. So I'll just post links to them. And, this will uh, get hard. This will get harder as we get further along, I'm sure. Well, I mean, there are some that you can get on DVD and some on um, Amazon Prime, HBO Go. So... Some people have those services or means to some, they, they might have them in their collection already. You know, they might have copies of them. Anyway, send feedback to hoopocast at gmail.com and uh, find us on the Facebook group mm-hmm. and go to hoopocast.com. That's it. That's the podcast. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Fuck you still. I'm still oh. doing that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> as you should, as you should. <laughs> All right.
Постой, паровоз, не стучите колеса. Кондуктор, нажми на тормоза. И я к маменьке родной, больной и голодной, спешу показаться на глаза. Не жади меня, мама, хорошего сына. А жди машинитка вора. Меня засосала тюремная трясина и жизнь. Моя вечная тюрьма. А если посяду в тюрьме, за решетку в тюрьме я решетку прорву и пусть луна светит своим продажным светом а я все равно я убегу А если я лягу в тюремную постельку, я буду страдать и умирать. И ты не придешь ко мне, мать моя родная, меня. Приласкать, поцеловать. Постой, паровоз, не стучи. Кондуктор, нажми на тормоза. Я к маме 
последним приветом хочу показаться на глазах.